Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Recording, uh, as very many cool people do, we are recording on a Saturday night uh, because we have such lively social activities. And by we, I mean my co-host, the one and only Stacy Patton. That's at Stacy Patton eighty nine on Twitter. Stacy, how are you doing? Doing well. I gotta say, Schwinn. Um... Just want to tell you this right now. Next time you want to undermine my career, have the gull to do it to my face. The gully. <laughs> I don't duck smoke from anyone. Am I going to start with some man, a term I'm using very generously, running his mouth about me from behind a mock mic on a podcast I've never heard of? 100%. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I could turn the video on and then would that count? Like, if I put the video on and I said the same thing, would that, you know, would that, uh, does that satisfy the requirements? I think we got to be in the same room watching the OKC Thunder Finals, <laughs> West, Western Conference Finals. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, but before we get started, I have to make an announcement that Strickland has Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's a number of tiers, a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland every Friday that I do with Prez. You also get access to the mailbag every other week that Drew Steele, Andrew Steele, at Scooter Toots that he hosts. More importantly, you get access to the Strickland Discord where the conversation never stops, except for now, because Kevin Durant has brought free agency to a screeching halt, and there's absolutely nothing to talk about other than James Harden taking $50 million pay cuts, apparently. There's further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll where I yell, rant, and rave about the Knicks even more. But more importantly, you get access to weekly articles by Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business. There's further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those get you access to a variety of other benefits like live watch parties, merchandise discounts, listening in on pop recordings, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So, without further ado, uh, look, the Knicks, they did play. Uh, we're recording this again on Saturday, uh, so we will not have any reaction to the game tomorrow, Sunday. I don't even know who the fuck they play. I don't, it doesn't really matter. It's not really. Um, but the Knicks did play on Friday. They played Golden State, uh, who, look, they were playing both Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga, who are, you know, they weren't in the rotation this year, but... Um, they will be next year, almost certainly. That's I mean, they're just, both lottery picks, and Kuminga did get playoff minutes. I also think it's funny. Like, I, I think it's – I saw a lot of people like, oh, my God, huge hits for Golden State losing Gary Payton second and Otto Porter Jr. And I agree those are hits. But, like, that's basically – like, you had to take those hits because guess what? You spent lottery picks, as you said, on Jonathan Kuminga and Moses Moody. Those are their minutes right there. That's like, those are their minutes. They're obviously, 
they're not the exact same players, right? Moses Moody is not Gary Payton II and Jonathan Kaminga is not Otto Porter Jr. But like, those are their minutes that they're taking. So um, I just wanted to throw that out there because I, I found that like, I saw like a couple people tweet like disaster off season for the Warriors. I'm just like, I don't think you have any idea what the fuck you're talking about because this is kind of like the natural evolution of the team, you know, like and we will talk about that when we talk about the Knicks a little later, but like there's kind of like a natural evolution that teams go through. Right. And part of that is guys leave and you guys have to step in. And I, I kind of think like, I, I would wonder if you asked them at the start of the year, do you think you can win a championship this year? Or what are the odds that you think you can win a championship this year? I feel like they would have said pretty low. And I don't think they would have cared because I think they would have been like, look, we're just trying to get these younger guys ready so that next year and the year beyond, like they can kind of seamlessly step in alongside Steph, alongside Clay, and we can continue to be a contender in the long run. Yeah. It's, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it, the, the biggest thing is the ticking clock on Steph, which if you watch last year's playoffs, I think he has every intention of making the <laughs> clock tick extremely slow. Um, I mean, and so does, um, for that matter, so do Clay and Raymond. Like, I think we we criticize both of them from the standpoint of they don't look like they used to be, which is just a reality. That's just going to happen. Uh, and it's a fascinating thing to navigate I mean, I think the Spurs were the last team like this that had to navigate something like that. Um, you know, and, and I'd be, I'd be way more worried. I'd be way more worried about Clay. Like Draymond is what he is. Like the offense is just, you know, yeah, like it, there's, it was worse. It was yeah. worse. But like, but with Clay, I'm like, dude, are you good? Like, we're just gonna do this chucking up. Like the game six in the finals, they close that out handily. But man, he was doing. As much as he could to make that a game. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I mean, it's it's still Clay. Like he's going to show up. Tim Duncan at thirty eight. Like he wasn't the same guy night in night out, but he still had what twenty points and ten rebounds and a half in the finals. Like yeah, that was crazy. These guys are still capable of doing that when you need them to. It's just more about carrying you on a more consistent basis. That the young guys are going to have to step up, and you know. Um, they have pool. Moody and Kuminga are probably ready for bigger roles than they had last year. Um, and I mean, the fact is, yeah, they both played summer league, and, and I mean, it showed out. Moody was clearly <laughs> way too good for summer league. Um, you know, even more than I think Grimes is too. Like I think Grimes was basically fucking around for most of the first half, so that's why his numbers didn't look great. But like it's on another level and Kuminga, you know, he had, they were trying to get him to, I mean, that's also another thing, right? Like, um, I think that the guys who the team is pretty sure on, they just want you to get reps. And ideally those reps are doing things that you might not get to do. And I think that's, um, you know, we can talk about crimes in that regard, but that plays into it. So you can't just look at the numbers or look at the production. Like Grimes is not going to be doing what he did in that first half for at least a couple of years. They just want to see, you know, how far along he is in terms of doing that for his future. And I think the same went for Kuminga, who for all his struggles had a couple of nice pull-ups. Like he, he showed that some of that potential. He's just not there. And he looked a little bit uncomfortable kind of initiating offense from this. Well, it's, top of the it's, arc. it's, it's very different. Like, and this is why I thought the, I thought Kuminga, and I'm just, I just want to be clear for the record because I don't want anybody like looking at my tweets being like, you lied. Um, I was not high on Kaminga as a prospect. I 
am high on him now long term because I the way you could kind of see him fitting in at Golden State was awesome. I thought he actually probably should have played a bit more in the playoffs, but like they won the championship. So clearly, even if I was right, it doesn't fucking matter. So credit to Steve Kerr. Um, and I want to say all that because I think what you saw yesterday was there is a difference in a player of Kaminga's skill set getting to attack from the wing against a tilted defense that's rotating already to him versus set defense. You and Moses Moody are the best players on the floor. You got to go make it happen. Um, hashtag Cam Reddish. Hashtag RJ Barrett. You know? Yes, but like I, I just I I think you could see like yeah, there's a difference there, and I'm not I, I don't think that means that he can never do it or that and it's and Devin doesn't mean it's not worth giving him those reps now to like develop that because eventually they'll want him to do that, but you know it's no reason to be low on the player right now, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, and I think um you know like. But that's that's part of the projection. And look, let's bring it back to the Knicks here because we this is a Knicks podcast, surprisingly. Um, I would say that I came away from last night not discouraged by anyone or anything, but I was extremely impressed. I know everybody was like, I, I feel like everybody was talking about Grimes after that game, and he was good, no doubt. Um, I thought he was forcing it a lot in the first half, and it wasn't just like, He's trying to do shit, like to your point, right? Like he's trying to do things that he wouldn't normally do or be empowered to do in an NBA game with his entire team around him and stuff. Um, but I also just thought he was pressing. Like he was trying to like make an impression, you know? And I thought in the second half he did a much better job of kind of, yes, doing more off the dribble, but playing within himself also to an extent. Yeah, I mean, I, he, you, you heard it before Summer League. He said, I want to dominate, which should actually be his expectation. He is one of the better players, one of the best players in Summer League. Um, and I think, he, you know, like the, the coaching staff was probably like, yeah, go off, you know, like do what you got to do. But, you know, his game at this point, even against and Summer League, is, is still a lot of quality competition that is fighting for roster spots. So, um, I think, you know, and like, look, who knows what conversations are, what the mindset is. Maybe he's just missed some shots and I'm, I'm off base. But I, I thought his approach was different in the second half because the first half he was like, yeah, he was, I mean, he was bringing the ball up a lot and like Deuce was playing off ball. Um, and he was just pulling up and like, I, I, you know, I'm happy to see that. And it didn't work out right now. Um, but, you know, the second half, he really was a little bit more within his... Like, you could see the second half, the way he played, you could see him being able to bring some of those things. A secondary pick-and-roll ball handler who can run pick-and-roll, who can make the right read, who can connect, who can move without the ball, taking mostly good shots. And, and the defense was great all game. So, you know, I, I think that there were people, I think, who overreacted to Grimes not having great first half uh, after the hype. but you know, the way he's going to dominate, he's a clay. I mean, I'm not saying clay Thompson, but he's that mold of player. He's not a step. And I think they tried to let him, you know, explore that a little bit. And they should continue to let him explore that in summer league. Um, but, you know, once he started to get back to like, you know, his bread and butter, like he was really tough to stop. Yeah. And I, I was, what I was going to say, and I, I, we can talk about crimes too, but like, I thought, the best player on the floor. Um, the best player on the floor, by the way, last night was Moses Moody. He was awesome. Um, 
But the best player on the floor for the Knicks and the second best player on the floor the entire game for me was Jericho Sims. I thought he was awesome. Hundred uh, percent. Yeah. I, I was like, and it's crazy, and I, it's summer league, so like obviously you know he's never or not. I don't want to say never, but he's not going to dominate like the way he did yesterday in an NBA game quite yet. You know, like that's and that's fine. That's but the point is. He dominated yesterday. And if you go back, and I don't know why you would do this. I'm sure like psychos like Benji and Ariel would because they're psychos. Um, but if you like went back and you watched highlights of the, the games from last year's summer league and you just watched Jericho Sims, like he was not, he was really talented and he, you could see like the vertical rim running stuff and the high, like you could see the, the flashes. But there was nowhere near the consistency. And then there was also just like, he was really bad at pick and roll defense. He was really bad at rim protection. He was really, really bad at corralling defensive rebounds and just controlling the glass. And yesterday, like, it was so eye-popping because it was like, he was excellent at all of those things. His positioning, his ability to control the glass, his kind of, uh, I want to say his timing when rolling to the rim. I even thought that I would, I love the fact, you know, we're talking about, you know, how guys get pushed out of their comfort zones a little bit in summer league to see if they can extend their games. I was super encouraged by uh, him being empowered to get rebounds and bring the ball up. And he looked comfortable doing it. We saw that actually a bit at the end of the season too, but we saw he that. He did a lot more in college too, but yeah. not going to do that for Tibbs as a rookie, but yeah. yeah. And he's just like, like you can just see there's so much talent there it's honestly insane to me that one he played four years in college with the things he can do that he was 23 when he's drafted that he lasted to 58 and that texas apparently like did they just not develop him or anybody the entire time he was i there? do think i have a theory on texas bigs you look at Jarrett allen bomba so bomba I forgot, was i forgot allen was there that's crazy yeah yeah allen went there and none of those guys like allen went Probably a lot lower than he would have. I think. Same coach. I don't. I think it was. I think it was Shaka Smart. Um, is Smart still there now? He left. No, he right? went to Mar- Marquette, I believe. Okay, but he was there when Sims. Like he was there for all. He was of definitely Sims. coach for Sims. Okay, he was definitely coach for Mom, for Bamba. Um, I think he was a coach for Jared Allen too. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I'm with you 100. percent Last year, there were people talking about he's taking Mitch's spot, and it was like he's a crazy athlete, and he can get a highlight real blocker here, here and there. But he was a bad defender. Let's call it, like even for summer league, he was not. His positioning wasn't good. Uh, he didn't know when to contest or you know stay home for a rebound. And I think most young guys err on the side of contesting, and he had the opposite bias a little bit. Um, and just, I, I mean, we're talking about today and I think it really showed out or, you know, talking about yesterday and it really showed out then, but it showed out the end of the year. I mean, his post positioning as Jokic and Embiid, that was shocking to me just from having seen him earlier in the, like, I remember one of his first extended stints was against the Hawks and he just was not, he didn't look like an NBA player. And the strides he's made, it really speaks to his work ethic. You know, you watch his interviews and you watch kind of how he carries himself. He seems like a very humble guy. Um, and it could be a late bloomer. Like, whatever happened in Texas, and maybe it's not a Texas development thing. Maybe it's just, you know, sometimes it, it doesn't fall into place for guys until later. But he definitely feels like a late bloomer with a ton of potential. 
uh, at that position. And you saw it yesterday. I mean, he was in full command. And yeah, Moody's scoring and, and shooting ability obviously made him best player on the floor. But other than that, I mean, the Warriors could do nothing on in, inside the arc. And even in the first half, then, you know, <laughs> Deuce and Grimes were, were, were a little bit trigger happy, especially Grimes, uh, which, you know, I'm not complaining about him, but, um, you know, that was what they were doing. But Grimes, but Sims rescued so many possessions on the offensive glass. Um, he's a really good rebounder. Um, he can switch. He was really, and I think also what's worth mentioning, and I wanted to throw this back to you, is like, I'm thinking about the long-term philosophy of the Knicks and the way they've wanted to play, especially when Sims is on the floor, but they did it with Noel too. You see these stretches where they're really getting aggressive on drivers. They're swatting at the ball. They're, um, they're trapping intel, like, you know, percentage wise and not like without, um, not recklessly trapping, but trapping a lot, forcing turnovers. You saw Farron Hunt leaking a lot yesterday, and shout out Farron Hunt, he had an amazing game. But that clearly seemed to be an, like, an adjustment they made at halftime, something they wanted to lean into, and that might have been specific to the Summer League roster, but we do know most teams in Summer League try to play the way that the, the way that the regular season team plays, and You've seen them do that with the young guys when Sims is in the game, to a lesser extent with Noel is in the game. And I wonder if that's how this front office wants to move directionally. Um, and, and it was all enabled by Sims, right? I mean, you, like, Keels is a very good defender. I didn't, he didn't have the greatest offensive game, but you could see what, why they drafted him. Grimes and Deuce obviously have that. Just like force turnovers, heat up the ball, get out and go. Which I don't know if that's, Tibbs' preferred philosophy, but the way they're building this roster, that's certainly... See- Even Cam, right? Cam plays into that. He's better at, at that kind of trapping and aggressive downhill play than, you know, more of the read-and-react kind of conservative defensive schemes. And I wonder if that's the, the direction they want to go ultimately with this team. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't want to take... And I agree with your point. We saw that a bit. I, mean, I think you, you mentioned this uh, on your podcast that you do with uh, Matthew. Uh, Matthew Miranda, again, best in the business. Um, but uh, you talked about that Clippers game where they were like really aggressive and they were you know switching a lot and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I wonder how much of that is just like, you know, coaches always say this stuff, right? Like schemes are great and all this stuff, but like, Talent is ninety percent of the game, and I so I just wonder how much of that is just like these are the skill sets of the players on the floor. Um, but that said, uh, I I agree. I think it speaks to like the front office targeting these type of players with their younger kind of asset allocation, right? Um, even a guy like Cam, who is not a good defender yet. There is the idea of how to use him and how he he would be best served as a defender, um, and I think he fits into that. Right? We know quickly can play the passing lanes, and he's super active. Like I actually don't love him as a one on one defender, but what I think he's great at defensively. You like is, him in his role? Yes, I do. Like I love quickly in his role, but like what I think he he's really excels at is just understanding the scheme and executing it constantly 
and nailing his rotations and timing, all that stuff. He doesn't great. miss rotations. He's yeah. a second-year player. Uh, yeah. Really, the second half of his rookie year, he didn't miss rotations, which is pretty phenomenal. Grimes is like that too, by the way. He he really figured it out pretty quick. But yeah, anyway, go on. I, but I think that's noteworthy, like because that's not usually. I mean, even Frank. I mean, Frank is a great defender. It took him a couple of years to always make the right reads. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I I totally agree. And and I think yeah, Grimes. You're seeing that also. He had one yesterday where he dug down on the ball handler and literally just ripped it from him. Um, but. Like, I just think those guys, the skill sets are, they lend themselves to that. And so I don't know if that is a schematic thing or, you know, uh, who's the, the coaches, but Daisuke, is it Yashimoto or Yoshimoto? I don't remember his last name, I'm sorry. Um, wow, dude, you're Asian, not even not even getting the, the pronunciations of our Asian brothers, right? That, it's Daisuke Yoshimoto, there we go. Okay, um, but I don't know if that's like his personal preference as a coach or if he's experimenting because Tibbs is like, I want to see what these guys do in this scheme or what. Like, I have no idea. All I know is, to, to your point, these guys can't execute that scheme. And if there is evidence to suggest that, yeah, maybe this is the vision moving forward or at least part of the equation moving forward, it is, again, if you go back to watching some of those games against Brooklyn, the, the game in Brooklyn where Durant had like 55 or whatever the fuck it was, um, one of the main switches that we made down the stretch of that game that where we nearly came back and won it is he put Sims in over Mitch and they started trapping and switching and blitzing. Like they were just running a much more aggressive scheme. And I just think like to go back to, to bring it back to Sims, I do think like that's only possible if it's only as good as your center is, right? Like one of the reasons why this, the Celtics can switch so much is because Robert Williams is so good on defense, right? And he can operate in a switch scheme and all that kind of stuff. Mitch, I don't personally think Mitch can do that consistently. I think in a pinch, he can do it. We've seen him do it in a pinch, obviously. But as like the foundation of your defensive strategy, I don't think you can run a scheme like that with Mitch for a variety of reasons. You know, you get into that. And it's not a knock on Mitch. Like, I just think he's a great drop pick. That's not nothing. That's really valuable. But, like, I don't want him running the type of schemes that we see with Sims. Like, you know, even, like, it, it's kind of crazy, but I don't really remember a single time so far in his career where, like, somebody has gotten him on a switch and just cooked him one-on-one. Like, I'm talking anybody. I really don't remember it. Somebody tried it yesterday and just got completely stonewalled, and then they never tried it again. You, um, oh, you mean you mean the dunk? That was why, yeah, Kaminga tried it, right? That, like, um, I remember because Doris Burke was trying to be like, oh my god, what a dunk! And then they showed the replay, and Sims was just like up at the rim, waiting for him, like, come on, buddy! <laughs> I'm here! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, no. Sims's Sims is hops, we should say. They're 99th percentile. Not think, just for a 6'10 player. Like, if he was 6'6, we would still be talking about his hops. So I genuinely, I, and I'm not saying this lightly, because I thought when Mitch came into the NBA, like his, when his first year or two, especially, his hops were crazy, right? I think Sims, like, his vertical pop with any type of runway is as good as anybody I've ever seen. Like, it is insane. I mean, he's. 
he's consistently getting his elbow above the rim on alley-oops. Yeah, know? it's and it's like, like he, he floats. Like, that's what I think really he's able he hangs up there for so long um he is just honestly just an incredible athlete but um the thing that's really encouraging to see this about sims is he didn't play a ton right as a rookie uh which i'm not even i'm not saying that as a negative like if there's one guy i will not bitch about like he didn't play enough it's jericho sims because he was a 58th pick the fact that he played so he played 555 minutes let's be real they let taj go and like that probably needed to happen, but Todd was fine. Like I never had, I had some problems with Noel minutes when he was hurt. There was no problem with the Todd minutes to me. So the only issue for me with the Todd minutes is that it was too much. Um, but whatever, it's it's. But he also gave them the sh- like he he yeah. shot fifty two percent for the corners. Yeah. Like it's it's trust me. I I don't even want to argue because I love Todd. Shout out Todd. I'm happy that he got another contract in Washington. Um, but like. With Sims, like he played 555 minutes last year. Uh, that's really good for a 58th pick rookie for fucking Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau. Um, the point being, like, he didn't play that much, right? And he he played. He didn't even play that much in the G League, if I remember correctly. So, like, the development he's made speaks to the development staff. And like, I know that you know we've talked about this a lot. Where like Tibbs isn't a bad development coach. I think in general, like, players control their development more than anybody, but also, like, you need to have a staff. Spoken like an Indian dad. Exactly. Yeah, show me the extra two points, Jericho. Um, Where did they go? Where did they disappear? Um, But, like, when you... Like, you need to have a development staff, though, that kind of helps these guys target the things they need to target, right? And work on those things. So, Jericho deserves the lion's share of credit for the strides he's made, but he could not make those strides unless he has a staff, a coaching staff and development staff that is helping him focus on what he needs to focus on. And I say all of that because... I agree with that, but I also think just seeing how many bigs take forever to develop... His his trajectory is insane. Like, he was... like We talked about this. I want to emphasize, he was fucking awful in Summer League last year. He was awful the first game in Atlanta when he got legitimate minutes. Like, that, he forgets yesterday, like, that to the end of the year, like, was a revelation. Like, a legit revelation. Like, I don't think that's overstating it. And, like, so, yeah, I agree with you that it's the system, but there's something special about this kid, I think, if he can yeah, improve yeah. like I that. I mean, all, all you're doing, I mean, not all, but, like, so much of your coach, like, so much of the development is just about, like, getting the kid to focus on the shit he needs to focus on. And then that's, and then it's on him. Right. So I'm not trying to say like, Oh wow, the Knicks did this for him. But like, I think it speaks to the fact that we do actually like whatever you want to say about Tibbs doesn't play the young guys enough. You know, we've talked about that. I, I, I think there's just a point in time last year where it was obvious the kids needed to play more, but whatever, I don't want to go back. And but it's, it's also, yeah. and I, I think it's worth, there's been a false dichotomy, not just on, you know, Twitter or whatever, but like even from like a lot of the blue checks that it's like, well, do you play the kids or do you go for wins? And I think that the argument we made, at least for me, was always the kids are better for getting you wins right now. Uh, yes. Yeah. More so than anyone else was quickly, but Toppin falls into that too. Uh, Sims, at least compared to what Nerlens Noel was doing, and again, maybe he was not at a point in his development where he's ready for that, 
But Nerlens Noel was not healthy. Um, you know, if you're playing either unhealthy guys or guys who are just not getting it done, and and, and fits right. I mean, even Grimes, like Fournier, shouldn't have been benched. But was he a good fit with Kemba Walker? If that's where we're going to go with the starting lineup, no, right? So. I think for us, like, I think it's always a false dichotomy of like, well, are we choosing to promote the kids or and, and develop the kids? Or are we choosing to get for wins? Well, in this case, it happened to be pretty aligned, right? Like those were the, t- like playing the kids would have led to more wins. That to me was the main thing. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. And that's what makes it frustrating. That's what makes last year so frustrating. Um, but yeah, like I, I just think it's, it, if you want to feel good about like, can we develop talent? Is there a reason why we should believe in this front office and all these kind of things and this coaching staff even uh, more than we should pass past regimes? I think guys like quickly and, and Sims, like those two in particular to me, Obi's a little bit different, but I don't want to talk. I Obi to me, was just him getting adjusted to the league. I don't know if he's actually, developed in the sense of like adding a lot of skills to what he came in with. I think um, his defense has improved. His defense has improved for sure. In college. For sure. For sure. Like like, he, didn't I think, def- he wasn't asked to play defense in college. Like yeah, he just basically yeah. leaked. But yeah. Yeah. I, I just think with like quickly and Sims in particular, you see two players who have expanded their games in such impressive ways. Uh and I think in a lot of ways uh trajectories that given their draft slots, you wouldn't have expected. Like they, they are outliers. Um, and so, you know, looking at this roster, like this is why, you know, look, you, you can have whatever opinion you have about should they have taken somebody at 11 or should they have done the, you know, the trade that they did make for 13 and kept it for themselves or whatever. But like, I don't think you can really look at this regime and say, well, they traded out because they don't value young talent, or they don't value the picks, or they can't evaluate talent properly. Like, it is very possible. And I, I love Jalen Williams, and what he's apparently been doing in Summer League has been really great. Uh, I don't watch Summer League except for the Knicks, so I don't really have any thoughts on that. Uh, but it doesn't surprise me that he's balling out in Summer League. Um, but, like, he, like, is there a chance that there's somebody that they could have drafted at 11 or 13 that? That pops? Sure, of course. The odds are someone in that range from like 11 to 18 or something will pop. Like it's almost certain it will happen. It might even be somebody at their pick. It's not going to be Usman Jang anytime soon. I'll tell you that though. Um, But like if their evaluation was that the cost, like the benefit of taking, let's say fucking AJ Griffin was number one on their board at that point, right? If their evaluation was as good as we think AJ Griffin is, the value of trading out of 11 to get three future protected ones and getting off of Kemba Walker's contract at the expense of four seconds, like that's a cost benefit you have to do internally. And if their evaluation was, this is better for us, then I'm sorry. Like I, I will trust them on that to an extent because they have shown me that they value young talent and they know how to develop it. And that is more than I could say for any Knicks regime of the last uh, fucking my lifetime. Um, So like in that sense, like when you see guys like Jericho and quickly, like this is why I don't want to trade camp because I really think like 
if if this is what this staff, like the development staff, if this is what they can coax out of these two guys, then I want to see what they can do with a guy with the tools of a Cam Reddish. Because as we've talked about, he is the archetype of player, like of a player that we do not have on the roster or that isn't even in the young core, right? And to a lesser extent, Ferran Hunt, who was awesome yesterday. Um, I don't know. I don't know enough about how the G League system works, like the Knicks G League system specifically, and how Ferran hunts. How, like I don't, I don't know that entire thing, right? But like just to see how you know he looked yesterday, and I, I just want to see the young guys that we have on the roster get that chance, and and you know, and see what they can do because when you like when you see what guys like quickly and Sims have showed. Um, it's really encouraging. And Grimes, to your point too, Grimes I think has developed. It's a little bit harder for me to know with Grimes just because like I feel like I knew he was going to come in and be an awesome three-point shooter and an awesome defender. So like I don't know if that's development or just that's who he is. So we'll see. You know, we, we saw some stuff yesterday, but we'll see how it continues as he progresses in his career. Um, but, you know, look, we, it's not all sunshine and roses. And, you know, look, I don't think Deuce was bad yesterday. Um, but there was some stuff that, and roses. I see what you did there. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I wouldn't say that I didn't, I wasn't particularly impressed by what he did yesterday. I wasn't also, I wasn't discouraged, but I wasn't impressed. Is probably the best way to put it. Um, I thought he played fine. I just want to see more. Like I want to see him force the action more and not just kind of like be relatively passive in, how the game is going. Um, yeah, I've been super high on Deuce. Yesterday, I won't lie, was disappointing from what I saw from him. <laughs> Look, I think the case with Deuce has always been he's a high-floor prospect. And when I say high-floor, I mean there's a very translatable skill set he has. Uh, the guy is a very comfortable shooter. He can get his shot off pretty easily. Um, does he know who he is at the elbow? No, he doesn't. That's kind of the point. But well, <laughs> no, he does. He, that's that the elbow is one area he's pretty successful at. Um, the issue is that, um, and and he's a great defender. So it's very easy to picture a role on any team for a guy like Deuce McBride. Come in, give you 10, 15 minutes. Um, you know, he he's like good enough to be the ball handler. Like he's not your primary initiator, but he can bring the ball up. He can push it down the floor. He can find guys. Um, he can run a, a pick and roll and like find a shooter on the perimeter or find a roller if they're really selling out. Um, but what you're not seeing is like that extra creation that you want from the primary initiator. And what I was so high on him is like I often felt that the burst was there, the skills were there. At West Virginia, there were two bigs in the paint, so he often had to settle for mid-range and for pull-up jumpers. And I felt like, you know, he really does have the burst to get to the rim and with the strength, the ability to, to really do some damage there. And he's a, he's a, I mean, he's a better athlete than Quickly, I'll say that. Vertically, I think Quickly is much quicker. Haha. Uh, Quickly's faster and he has a better first step and probably a better ball handler. But vertically... Deuce is a better athlete and he's stronger uh, right now, even though quickly has obviously made some real strides there. Um, but yesterday it just felt like, and I, maybe part of this was 
he was trying to run the offense. He didn't want to force the issue when it wasn't there. But I just didn't see him getting a step on guys. Like there were times on fast breaks where he's pushing the ball and a guy was right on his hip and he couldn't separate. Those are concerning things to me. Um, So look, do I think that, like, I think right now, as I see it, I think the future for the Knicks is really, I'm looking two years down the road because there might be roster log jams that logistically just aren't going to get cleared this year. But if you assume Rose is gone next year, you assume Fournier is gone the year next year, I still think the one and two spots, the majority of the minutes as a backup, because Brunson's here. So Brunson's here. That means quickly is not going to start. Grimes is probably going to be the starter in two years or probably by this year. They're probably given quickly something like 25 to 30 minutes as a backup one and two utility uh, guard, uh, closing a lot. Something like Jordan Poole's role, except maybe even more solidified because quickly is not a liability on defense. Um, and then Deuce would probably, like, his upside right now is to slot in, by year three, slot in that Gary Payton, the second role. And I think he's ready for that, right? I think Gary Payton was more of an interior attacker and cutter, but Deuce will give them the shot making as a floor spacer, but he can slide into that role. The question was always, could he be more than that? Could he be someone who can maybe be a starting lead guard at some point? And that's what was disappointing about yesterday, but you know, it's it is one summer league game. Um, we know that he can score; like he dominated the G League, you know, to an outlier level. Even for and like, we know that most NBA rotation guys are going to be dominant in G League. But he was, even by those standards, really good. So I don't think it's anything to panic about. But you would like to see him be able to create more separation and get downhill more than he did yesterday. So <clears throat> when I watch him. And you've, I'm, you've definitely watched him way more than me, both in college and G League and whatever. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not that concerned that he didn't get separation yesterday because when I watch that stuff, to me, I mean, I, it, it is concerning, but I'll tell you why I, 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 it's different for me. I don't think it's an athleticism thing. I don't think it is a lacking of burst necessarily thing, especially not in the open court. What it looks like to me, and maybe this is a function of the injury he suffered in high school, that I think cost him basically... He also played football, so yeah. that is going to cut into your development. I mean, even a guy like Jalen Suggs was talking about how six months of the year he didn't basically didn't play hoops the same way, right? So yeah, yeah I mean, I just... Functionally, then, guys so the same age. what it just looks like to me is... Like, you, you hear about this with running backs, right? Where... It's like there are guys that whatever whatever type of running back you are, whether you're in between the tackles or you like to stretch it out wide, like there oh, are guys that, that hit Your mother the likes to stretch it out wide. Yes, she does. Uh, but there are guys that like when they see the hole, uh, they can just like they they hit, you know, they get a seam, they, <laughs> they hit the seam hard, right? Um, and And they're gone. And like with Deuce, what I think you see is like, he sees the scene, he gets into the scene, but then he doesn't push himself. And like Prez did a really long thread about this on the Strickland account, which everybody should check Prez out. Prez did a really long thread is like a, a mainstay of Nick's Twitter. By yes. the way, you should you should read all of those. <laughs> yes. Um but like 
like he's talked about he should play a little reckless. I don't know if reckless is the right word, but I think it gets to the heart of what we're talking about. He should play with the gulliness. Yes, he should play with the gulliness. Um, But like, he needs to get into that scene and then just fucking go. And like, if that results in a charge or if he turns the ball over or whatever, like, that's fine. I, I don't care. But he needs to get into, he needs to start getting into a mentality and a comfort zone of like, when that, when there's that scene, I fucking run through that shit. And then you figure out like, you know, how to finish, how, when to kick out, all this kind of stuff. Like, that's what was encouraging to me about quickly last year in the summer league. Was I didn't, like, people were like, oh, he's shooting like crap and all that. I didn't care about any of that. Cause what I saw was like, okay, he's actually penetrating now. Like, he's actually getting into the paint. And when he has a gap, he's getting into the gap, right? He's forcing, the defense to collapse and he's making them make decisions. Um, he had like, th- th- there's just, there was a few times actually in the, in the end of the first half, one of the fouls he drew was he crossed his guy up and got a little bit of separation. And then he just went into the paint. And even on that one, he didn't explode. He kind of like slowed up. You could tell, but to me, it's mostly just like when he creates that separation laterally, which he does, pretty frequently because he does have pretty good I, I think his handles are fine not spectacular or anything but I think they're fine I think he can create lateral separation but what he has to then do is then take that lateral separation and get going downhill right and he just doesn't do that sometimes like he just kind of settles right or he'll take a dribble forward and then he slows down and swings the ball out or he makes a cross court pass whatever it is but he doesn't take the advantage and get to the cup. And I think like that's not about athleticism or burst or anything. It is about mentality and about his willingness and kind of his reading of the situation. And so like, that's why I don't know. I I wouldn't say I was discouraged by yesterday. I also wouldn't say I'm encouraged. I'm just like, this is what it is. Are you going to make that step? Will you make that next step in your career, in your play style. I have no idea. Will it happen in New York? Is it going to, like, I I don't know. I don't know the answer to any of that. Um, But like, to your point of him having a high floor, like, I think this is why if you're the Knicks, it doesn't really make sense to throw him into a trade or anything like that anytime soon. And again, given the success that you've had with guys like Quickly, who, look, let's be honest, Quickly, one of the main issues he's had through his career from Kentucky um, up until towards the end of last season is consistently being able to get into the paint beat and not just beat his man, but get into the teeth of the defense and collapse it and get shots up at the rim or all that kind of stuff. And he showed that towards the end of last season on a consistent basis. That's a huge development for him. So why would you not bet on the same development staff? Like being able to get that out of deuce, uh, in a year or whatever time frame you want to put on it. Um, I, I think it's a good bet and I'm not, I, I'm, I'm, I'm neither, what did I say? Not, neither. So I guess what, what does that mean? Am I, am I encouraged by what I saw yesterday? Because I'm neither discouraged or encouraged. So I'm discouraged. Um, I'm, I'm fine with it. Like I, I hope to see more. I think we will see more. Um, and I just need to like, I need him to get up more shots than, you know, fucking, Ferran Hunt and Trevor Keels. Like, he should be on the court with those guys and be like, nah, get the fuck out of here. Like, I'm doing this shit. And I don't care what his percentages are. I don't. Like, 
Just get fucking shots up. That's what that's what summer league is. Get your fucking shots up when you're a second year player like Deuces. And there's no there's no lotto pick on this team. You know, Trevor Keels is our one rookie draft pick. Like, there's nobody you have to feel like. Oh, I don't know. No, get your fucking shots up. Like Quentin Grimes, how many shots did he get? I think he had 24 shots yesterday. Like that's what I'm talking about. Get the fucking 21. He had 24 yeah. points. Yeah. Sorry, we got it. We got to say the points were more than the shots. We're not. We're not letting Quentin Grimes go out like that. <laughs> but like, it's just like that's that's what this is about. Just get your shots up and don't worry about the percentages because it's it's all about just like what is your process here, you know? Um, and his process should be like I'm on the court with fucking bums. Basically, I should dominate. I'm gonna get my shots up, and I don't care what the fuck I shoot. Yeah, I mean, I will say a couple things. I do think his handle, like, he can, he has, like, a nice crossover, and he can, like, get to his spots. The handle does need to be tighter. Like, if you could, like, Jalen Brunson is probably an elite, he's an elite ball handler in the NBA. Is that fair to say? Just I would say somewhere between, I, I don't know if I would say elite. I don't, I haven't. Kyrie's elite, he's not Kyrie, who is probably historically good ball handler, but I would like, say elite is like that. elite is like what? It's like Steph, Kyrie, Paul. Yeah, whatever. So like he's not at that level, but he's as good as anybody. Is he a better like he's Dame level ball handler, I think. I just in terms of handles? Yeah, no, I'm thinking like I I think he might have better handles than Dame, actually. If you're just talking pure handles, like because Dane doesn't really do much work in the mid-range. And I don't know if that's purely about handle, but like, I think Brunson has way better change of pace, which is part of handle to me. And he, um, he's had to because he doesn't have Dane's athleticism, right? So. Right. Yeah, so I, I think you could say that, sure. Yeah. Like, Deuce, like, if you watch, like, Deuce, he doesn't do, he doesn't gnash a lot. That's something Quickly does. Um, he doesn't, um, you know, he's not in the middle of the floor, he doesn't want to attack the middle of the floor. Like, um, so I think he needs to tighten that up. Um, but I agree with most, like th- that's been my thesis the whole time is that like, this is a guy that like has the ability to get where he wants. He just isn't doing it. Um, and yesterday was the first time where I was starting to question that a little bit because there were times when I really felt like it was an obvious opening that I've seen him take and he just wasn't doing it. But yeah, I mean, I'll throw this back. Given the point you made, though, right? That with this development staff, if you have these talented guys, just bet on being able to develop them because you will. Problem is, if you can't showcase them or if you have too many, at some point you have to convert that to on the floor production, whether that's through a trade or whether that's making it possible for them to do that. And it's tough to see those paths for dues right now. <laughs> what do you think the Knicks philosophy should be in terms of balancing those two things, right? And that applies to Deuce, applies to, it applies to quickly, shit. I mean, quickly might be expendable if you really are bought into Deuce and you feel like that backup guard role can be filled by someone else. Like, all these guys at some point, if they're crowded, are in a, like, how do you balance the fact that our real strength is player development, which I agree with you. I think that is the Knicks' biggest strength right now is talent identification and player development how do you balance that with the fact that you might not be able to get the fruits of that development, whether by trade or, you know, if their value is suppressed because they're not showcased or by 
actual encore results because they're just not, again, for the same reason, they're just not going to win it. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, make your first deposit, and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And that's beyond Tibbs, right? Someone like Deuce, like even without Tibbs, it's... He's not getting minutes over quickly. He's not getting minutes of Grimes at this point, right? Uh, so, and then you have Yokobitis, right? So, I think. So, I think as a rookie or young, any young player, you have to prove that you're worth the front office. And this is not just specific to the Knicks. I think any front office, you have to prove that you're worth caring about in terms of team planning. Like you get drafted because they believe in your talent. And then at that point, it's about you proving that their talent evaluation was right. But that's on you. You have to prove that with your work ethic, with how you play on the court, with how you conduct yourself, all these kind of things, right? And um, that doesn't mean the team is always right. You know, like we talked about, we talked about this with Frank throughout his career. That, that doesn't mean, like, if, if a young player isn't getting minutes, that doesn't mean that they're always right to not get minutes. But to a certain extent, like, you have to force your way into their planning, right? Their roster construction, all these kind of things. Quickly has done that, right? Like he has done that. And so whether, like, I think all fans of the Knicks are at least at the point where even with the addition of Brunson, there is like a feeling of they need to make sure Quickly is still getting 25 minutes a night, 30 minutes a night. Like he has to play X amount of minutes, right? And that's because of how he has played over two years in the growth he showed. Um, Deuce hasn't had the opportunity that quickly has, and this is part of why, like, not. not he also all. doesn't earn it. Like, he's also not as good. Like, I think that's yeah. He hasn't good. he hasn't been as good, and he's also let's be real. He's also a second round pick, which like, yes, I know quickly was twenty fifth, and Deuce is thirty sixth. That's not a huge difference, but like. He's not like a lottery pick, right? He's not just going to be tossed into the rotation because we spent this high draft capital on him. We have to show he's worth it. So he's really got to earn it. And <clears throat> is he going to get the opportunity in New York? I would say we don't know, right? We don't know. But it's not just quickly. It's Brunson too, right? Yeah, it's Brunson. Yeah, but like, let's say Rose gets hurt. Okay, Rose gets hurt. Let's say Fournier gets hurt. I think I think Deuce will probably get minutes then. Can he capitalize on that? Can he like deliver and play himself play play so well that there's just you have to now start considering him um, when you're making decisions about your roster moving forward. But so he, I think I would agree. I still think quickly ends up taking more minutes. It'll 
quickly in that scenario that he described, quickly ends up being last year's Alec Burks, where he just gets a fuck ton of minutes playing every guard role. But I do think Deuce would get 10 to 12 minutes again. The question becomes, though, like, Fournier and Rose, I think, are going to be gone in two years, no matter what. So if your starting guards are um, Brunson and Grimes, and Brunson's getting 33, 36 minutes, and quickly is getting 12 as a backup, and then Grimes is getting 24 to 30, and quickly's take, like, would you rather give Deuce 10 minutes a game and keep quickly at 26? Or would you rather just have quickly become that guy? That's that's what Deuce is fighting against. Like it's sad to say because I love them both, but it, it at this point it is kind of a do like that's what I think the upside is that they decide that quickly is still in the twenty five to thirty minute range, and Deuce gets those like remaining ten minutes that quickly's not backing up either the one or the two. That's still for year three not great upside, but maybe you know maybe I'm understating that, and it is a second round pick as you say. Yeah, and and also like. You like as an organization, your responsibility. So as a front office, your responsibility is to the entire organization, um, and that might mean that you that when you're acting in the best interest of the organization, it isn't in the best interest of each individual player. So by that, I mean maybe they are like, yeah, it's probably you know, Deuce probably isn't going to get any minutes this year, but also like we have to field a 15 man roster. And in the event that we do have an outbreak of injuries or something, like we don't want to not have Deuce, right? We I would definitely have- keep Deuce, and if he is just a ten to twelve minute guy, that's fine. The question is, like, long term, are you betting on him as the kind of upside that he, you know? Well, I, I just think like he has to prove it, and 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 that doesn't. I mean, like- even if if he does, what happens then, right? Because you're well, not moving quickly, you're not moving Brunson. Well, then, then, I mean, naturally, you're like you're going to have the roster evolve almost naturally, right? Because Rose will be gone in a year. I don't think he stays past this year if he stays. Um, so there's a role right there. Uh, you but know, that that's that's kind of my point is that Rose being here already kind of reduces quickly and Grimes' roles because quickly if Rose is here next year, quickly is basically going to be splitting all he's all his minutes are coming at the two. And all of those come at the expense of Grimes. So if Rose goes, like they're probably going to want to give some of those minutes to quickly. And so, like at that, even at that point, the upside for Deuce is like ten to twelve minutes a game, right? Like, what what is like? Is there a role you envision for Deuce within, like, after Rose and Fournier are gone, where he's playing twenty twenty five minutes a game, and Grimes are and quickly are still getting the kind of minutes you would want for them to get? No, but. I also don't know what the hell happens. Like, what if they make a trade for Donovan Mitchell and quickly goes down that deal? You yeah, know, that's and true. like there, there's we don't know. So, like, responsibility of the organization always has to be maintaining a certain level of talent and making sure the roster is filled with talent. And like, like we've seen this with Memphis, right? Like, they have had too many. Like last year, they literally traded Grayson Allen, who, whatever you think about him, is a capable NBA rotation player. They basically traded him for like nothing. Because they had too many guys and they had to clear more roster spots. So, like, if in two years' time, the Knicks are just like, you know what, we kind of don't have space to reduce his contract running out, we'll just trade him for some mid-second round pick or something like that, like, so be it, you know? Like, you're not going to maximize every single asset you have. That's unrealistic. And, you know, ultimately, 
I just think that like, so, I mean, I don't know. This is a lot harder to do in basketball just because for a lot of reasons, but like in soccer, there is an idea of you need to have competition at all of your, you want to have competition at all of your spots because one, you don't want players to get complacent and two, you want to keep players sharp because they will feel the pressure to perform or otherwise they will lose their place in the starting lineup, in the 11, is what you call it, right? Um, that's harder to do in basketball for a variety of reasons, as we talked about. But, like, I think it is good to have Deuce around because you yeah. know he's a good worker. You know he's going to work his ass off. On top of, like, the fact that, as we've talked about, he has a safe floor. Like, he's not going to be somebody who lets up or is complacent in practice or any of these things, right? He's always going to be there putting in the work. And so if for whatever reason, you know, whatever, let's say quickly, I don't, this isn't going to happen, by the way. But let's say for some reason quickly is like, you know, he's been hanging out with all these fucking celebrities this summer and he's feeling too cool for school and he's, you know, not putting in the work and stuff like that. Maybe then do start taking some of his minutes, right? Like those are the type of, like you want to have players that are always pushing your dudes. And that if somebody lets up or lets complacency seep in and affect their performances, that you can turn to their backup or the guy that's not in the rotation and be like, look, you're in right now because he's not getting it done. And then, and that you believe in that player's talent level, if called upon, to deliver. And the, the last, the latter part of that, you know, the, if, when quickly, if, or sorry, if Deuce gets a shot, will he take advantage of it and capitalize and holy shit, now we have a decision to make or like we, we, we can't know that until that situation unfolds. But like, I think it's important to have a player like him in the building at that position um, that is going to keep guys sharp in practice and in how they prepare and all that kind of stuff. Um, And that's why, like, you know, I saw a lot of people freaking out, like, oh, my God, like, yeah, we kept Cherico, but now he's a third big. What are we going to do? How's he going to get minutes? Like, I I look at Cherico. And also, you need three bigs. Like, let's be real. Like, the, yeah. everyone is like, there's been a, a lot of talk about, well, we invested $23 million in the center position. We could have just traded, we could have just taken Duran and let Mitch. First of all, they weren't, they were not rolling into next season with Duran. And, well, I think there's people who thought that if they took Duran, they wouldn't have signed Hardenstein, which, <laughs> no. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe that's true, but, no matter what. But it's also like, who cares? Like, the, this is their eval. So, like, if what you need to believe is, like, and this is the part that annoys me. If you think, like, first of all, I, this entire conversation annoys me for a couple of reasons. Before the draft, I'm not saying everybody. I, I certainly was one of these people. Um, but, like, before the draft, there's a bunch of people saying, oh, yeah, you know, we shouldn't, don't take a big, in the, don't take a big with 11. Don't take a big in the lottery. Don't take a big in the lottery. And this is not just, like, Knicks fans. This is, like, a very broad sentiment that a lot of people feel, right? Like, unless it's some exceptional, offensively talented center who can, who's like a cat-level offensive talent or something like that, like, or Embiid or Jokic, whatever, like, don't take that player in the lottery, right? Okay, so that part annoys me because now all of a sudden it's like, oh, they could have had Jalen Duran, and it's like, okay, I mean, sure. And I love Jalen Duren. I, I came around to the point of view that, like, if there is a big that you take in the lottery in this draft, it should be Jalen Duran. I would have been completely happy if they took Jalen Duran. I would have been fine with it, you know? Um, but, like, 
They didn't. I'm fine with that too. Uh, the other part that annoys me is like what you are almost saying is that you 100% believe Jalen Dern is going to be so good as a center. Like he and we we talked about this extensively before the draft. He literally needs to be at the bare minimum a Jared Allen level of center to like really make a significant difference in the team's future, right? Like in terms of pushing their ceiling forward or higher. Yeah, and like and and I mean I think the other argument people have used is well you like he would have been 4 or 5 million dollars a year. He spent 15 on Mitch and 8 on Hartenstein. So my point is like one like they were signing Hartenstein no matter what. Is that fair to say by the way? Like if you, I would I think that if you can get him for 8 million dollars, I would take that a heartbeat no matter what. Um, um wait, so I I would say I actually, I don't know. Actually, I, I'm not sure. I think if they had taken Duran, let's say they let's let's say they take Duran, are they still bringing Hartenstein? They're not. Uh, they were not rolling into next season with Duran and Sims. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that I agree with. That I 100 percent agree with. I think right. Tibbs might have had like a legit like aneurysm if that. Like, hey, t- Tom, uh, you know our center and would be one of the things I would agree with Tom Thibodeau on. Because yeah. I think Duran can be really good in in well, time, and I think here, Sims is already really good. What if? But what if they had told Tibbs like, "Okay, look, we're giving you Duran and Sims, but we're keeping Taj." <laughs> yeah, Taj would have gotten forty minutes a night. It, of course, the the real thing would have been you have to play Obi at the five. <clears throat> Fuck you. Um, no, I mean it, they were that wasn't going to happen, right? Um, so you're basically talking about. We would have signed Hartenstein to be the starter and saved ten million dollars by resetting the Mitch rookie deal. I don't think the eleventh pick is worth that unless you think Duran is going to be a star someday, as you said, right? Um, but I mean, and, and, and to be clear, like I think it can be like a lower, like, and I don't, I don't say this as an insult at all, but it can be like a lower end star big. Like I think Jared Allen's basically that, and that's not an insult to Jared Allen. It's just like. He's not a, he's not like a fucking Joel Embiid, right? Like he's not some he's not even a yeah. bam out of bio. Like he's he's a really good center for what he does, but he's kind of like that lower. And, and you do have you do have this kind of power law thing with the bigs where you have two guys really, right? That are just generational talents. You have kind of a one A type in Bam who doesn't fit with the rest of the league, but also isn't quite on that level. And then you have Jared Allen, right? Um even leaving aside that, okay, but we have three bigs and Sims can't even get minutes and Obi's never getting minutes. Mitchell Robinson and Hardenstein is very foul prone. That's I, I am a huge Hardenstein fan, but it's worth noting. Um, and part of that is because he lacks mobility, so it's probably going to be high variance in the sense that you know he'll probably be able to contain his fouls if he is guarding you know more post heavy teams, but against a team like Charlotte or where, you know, where he's really asked to be mobile play a lot of drop, defend a lot of pick and rolls, he's probably is going to get into foul trouble. And we know that Mitch, you know, has been better about it, but still has that issue. Sims is going to get minutes. Like, that's not a thing. Like, you need, and and especially, yeah, like, two of the best teams in the um, in the conference are Philly, or sorry, two of the best teams in the league are Philly and, Yo- and, and Jokic. Well, they were basically were Jokic last year. Philly and Denver. But then you do have Robert Williams. You do have, uh, I mean, 
Toronto doesn't have a true big like that, but they send a, a million six foot ten guys at the rim. So yeah, that's a foul trouble risk. Like you're gonna need three bigs. So and this is the perfect role for Sims because he isn't really gonna be un- pressure, under pressure to perform a lot, but he's gonna be able to come in. And the last thing is all three bigs give them different looks, right? Uh, you have Mitch, who is your best rim protector and your best rebounder, um, and he can finish, right? You have Hartenstein, who gives you the ability to invert your offense a little bit. I'm not, you know, he doesn't have the shooting to maybe be a true five-out type offense, but he can handle the ball at the top of the key. He can do more things out of a DHO than someone like Mitch can. He's a good passer, um, and he still gives you that rim protection. And then Sims gives you the ability to switch that the other people, the other two don't, um, while also providing some passing. And obviously, you have the vertical gravity. So, um, and a little more offense than I think Mitch provides. So, when you have three guys that complement each other and you can throw different looks and you have that versatility at the center position, yeah, like I'm fine investing, you know, $24, $25 million. There. I mean, what, what are we, we're talking about less than just doing the math. I think that's about 25% of the cap, by the way. Like the cap is on 122, I believe this year it came in at, or one twenty. No, that's like 20% of the cap. Yeah, so 20% of the cap. That's what we're talking about. Like, that's, basically an ideal allocation i don't know like not ideal is maybe the wrong word but it's like a totally normal and acceptable allocation of your cap and in all likelihood this is a number that's going to go i i would i would be shocked if mitch's contract is not descending cap hits um so this is a number that's going to go down in cumulatively and also as a percentage of the cap and the other part is this right we just i just talked about this with deuce this probably even goes more for Jericho Sims because Mitch has had injury issues, right? Like if Mitch has an injury issue, or let's be honest, like what if he comes into camp and he's not in tip-top shape, right? Like you don't want to give Jericho Sims a sniff, man. And we know Tibbs likes this kid. The fact that he played 555 minutes as a rookie, like that's, I don't even, like <laughs> that's like the equivalent of a normal coach giving fucking like a number three pick on a tanking team to 2,500 minutes or something. You know what I mean? Like for Tibbs to give a 15th pick that many minutes is the highest compliment he could possibly pay to a player. Um, and so like, he, like he's talked about him before too. He's like, Oh yeah, he's got this push shot. Like he clearly likes what Sims gives. And I think the organization obviously does, right. They handed him a three year contract. Um, you know, like, I think he's going to get a chance. And it could be at Hardenstein's expense, too, right? Let's say Hardenstein gets hurt for a couple of weeks. If Sims absolutely kills it in those two weeks, and I actually feel like he will when he's given the opportunity. I just really am so encouraged by what we saw at the end of last year and yesterday in Summer League. It just feels like he's just improving and improving and improving. Um, like, okay, then... He takes those minutes, and now you have Hartenstein. Maybe you have to deal Hartenstein, you know, like, and you will be able to deal Hartenstein for sure at that number, by the way. Um, but like, this is why, like, I don't think the organization, like, I don't think the organizational philosophy needs to be we need to clear minutes for every single young guy. But like, I think there needs to be an organizational philosophy of like we will provide these young players the opportunities. And if they, if they do take those opportunities and they take advantage, then we will respond accordingly. 
And I don't know if the plan going into last season was like, we're going to give Sims a chance at some point. But the fact of the matter is they did. And when when they did and he responded, they adjusted. Because I doubt their plan was initially to turn Jericho Sims' two-year two-way contract into a three-year standard deal after one season. Right? Like, they did that because he proved himself. And we saw with Mitch, like, they feel that he proved himself, so they paid him. And we know that they like RJ. They're going to pay him. We'll see what happens with quickly. Like, you know, I tweeted this out when they waved Hodge, but like, there is a Randall, there's a Randall-sized elephant in the room, and they still have to make moves with regard to Fournier and Rose and all this kind of stuff. But like, there are legit only three guys in the team that are 27 or older. That's it. It's Julius Randall, it's Evan Fournier, and it's Eric Rose. That's it. Everybody else is. 25 at this moment in time or younger, 26 in Brunson's case when the season starts. Uh, other than that, the oldest guys on the team are 24. Mitch, Hartenstein, and Obi. Everybody else is younger than that. Like, that is, that is whatever you want to say, like, they need to do more, they need to clear up moments. They have, I think they've shown their hand, right? Like, this is the direction we're leaning in. We are going younger. We are pushing the timeline out. Our time to strike is not now. It is maybe a year from now. It is two years from now. But when that time, like, but in the meantime, our path has to be through these young guys. And that, I think, is the organizational philosophy. We don't need to agree with every single decision they make under that philosophical understanding. But, like, if you deny that because Julius Randle is on the team and Derrick Rose is on the team and Evan Forty is on the team, I think that's bullshit. You know, like, I think they clearly are leaning this direction, and they deserve, so I don't want to say they deserve credit for that, because I feel like that's kind of a low bar, but they, it, it should at least be acknowledged that this is the organizational philosophy, and this is the organizational direction, strictly based on the decisions they've made, and the personnel decisions they've made. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um... And uh, yeah, that's why, I, I mean, what I was talking about with McBride is not by any means like the idea that the Knicks should give up on him or shouldn't can you prioritize, but um, I will say I was very confident in his ceiling as like eventually getting to get, be the kind of guy that could be a starter level point guard. It's why I was furious that he didn't even get a look when Kemba was shitting the bed and Alec Burks was playing out of position. I mean, you should still be furious about that because he absolutely, I don't care what the hell Deuce turns into, he definitely would have been better than Kemba last year. Yeah, and I mean, he's, I mean, he's, that's what I said. The high floor is like he can get you into your sets, hit an open shot, and play defense, which, like, if you've seen the Knicks point guards, that's not exactly a low bar. Uh, Over the last few years, obviously. Quickly is, I think, an exception to that, uh, and obviously Derek Rose is. Um, I'm just like, I was surprised at the the struggles with separation yesterday, even relative to kind of you know the kind of talk about him that's been there previously. Because it's always seemed like when he has space, uh, he can do that. But it is one game of summer league, and and, and to your point, yeah, I mean, they, this is who they are now. They are kind of trying to. They're in that Raptors mold, like it or not. Maybe when Rose got here, Leon Rose got here, they wanted to just try to get a star quickly. But because of the lack of movement and because of, you know, the contracts people are signing and because of the situation that is, 
luckily, they also invested in, in scouting and player development. And I think that right now, that's what they have to lean into. And, and you know, when the star comes available, they'll have to make the best decision that's there at that time. Um, I do just worry about, I, I do wonder if this is going to be a place where Deuce can evolve or Deuce will evolve if he has that ability into a starter, because I don't see him being beating out the other Knicks young guys, even if he can carve out a role besides them um, for a significant role. Yeah. And look, I want to get into this because I think this is kind of, I feel like we're talking about it anyway and around it a little bit. Um, but like, and I, this is a very broad question, very meta question. Um, but like, what teams talk about culture, right? Organizations talk about this all the time. We have, we're trying to build a culture, establish a culture, you know, fucking all this shit, right? What is culture, right? Like, I, that's what I'm kind of wondering because this Julius Randle stuff to me is like, I think the decision they make on him this summer in terms of moving him and down the line as we progress forward, if he's still here, like, I think it is relevant to this question. Um, so, but like, I think it's important to understand what culture means because it can mean different things to different people and cultures are not the same, right? Like the culture of the Warriors is not the culture of the Miami Heat, which is not the culture of the San Antonio Spurs when Duncan was there, which is not the culture of the 90s Bulls. Like, you can have success with different types of cultures, but I do think it matters. It just means different things to different people. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really, I think that more than, cult, I think culture is bottom-up more than top-down. So I think it Top comes from down chrome spinning. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time we talked about culture on the Knicks? <laughs> um, you know, it's really the guys they've drafted more than anything else. Um, RJ quickly, OB, that's where it comes from. Um, and what are those pieces? It's, it's just, that is clearly the priority for them. Right. Um, it, it, that and when I say the that's everyone's job is a priority, right? And and for that matter, I don't. I think if you show me the lowest work ethic guy in your opinion, whether it's you know, I don't think this actually applies to these players. Like this is just been the narrative. But Kwame Brown or Michael Beasley or whoever people think didn't work as hard as they could, show me the the laziest guy in the NBA, and he probably has a ninety nine point nine percentile work ethic compared to most people. Um, because that's just, that's the standard, but I think it's bottom up. Um, and I think it's about two things, right? It's about being able to put your, this, your career success and this team's success over everything else, which is a hard sacrifice to ask for people. Um, you know, any kind of comforts, any kind of like, this is it, this is, this is, what it is um as well as kind of a willingness to just put above all else the team's success um uh, i think those are how the best cultures have succeeded in the nba and i realize that like that's probably not the kind of culture 
in my employment that I would want to work for, right? Like my job is probably never going to be the most important thing in my life. Um, that's how most people are, and that that's a fine thing. But the NBA is is a hard, um, you know, you're 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 not you're not. It's not a normal job. It's, it's just the way it is. Uh, and I'm not talking about the money justifying that, but I think that if that's what you want, those are like those are the elite cultures. Um, so. I don't know, but I don't have a great answer to that question, and I think it's tough to define. So since you brought it up, I'm much more curious to your thoughts. Yeah, so I mean, I don't, I don't think – like a culture is only as good as your organizing principles, uh, which are effectively like your core beliefs, right? And what are your core beliefs as – organi- as, as a basketball organization, what does it mean to have core beliefs? Um, some of that can obviously definitely be like personality traits. And I do think the Knicks, if you look at who they've drafted, the players they've drafted, uh, for the most part, I think you can determine a lot from that. Like, I think there are some clear tells, um, like Trevor Keels is their first pick and they've made six, they've made six draft selections prior to drafting Trevor Keels this year, but he's the first one and done they've taken. He's the first one. He's the youngest player they've drafted by far. Um, yeah, I mean, Yoku Bias would be the closest thing, I guess. Yeah, and he was 21 when they picked him, I think. Um, but, like, they have... So I think that... Does that mean everything? Are there exceptions to the rule? Clearly there are exceptions to the rule, right? They took Trevor Keels. Um, I think that's something. If you look at the personalities they've picked, all of these guys are purportedly and like look there's always smoke about the stuff of the draft but i think it's safe to say based on what we've seen of them and how they carry themselves these are all guys that are very much like like ball is life you know what i mean like they are in the gym they want to like work. even by nba standards yeah yeah like they're these are guys that like want to be there i mean we heard you know i think berman had it or one of the guys had it but like i think after like a month a month after the season ended, they were saying like all the young guys basically were already back in Terrytown practicing and working together. So like that says something. That's not how it goes um, for most teams. Like, which isn't to say like you can't work on your own, but I think having a group of players that seems really committed to working together, um, that says something. Um, the other part of this too is like, I also feel that yes, personality, all these kind of things matter. But also, like, what basketball qualities are you looking for? What do you value? What is, you know, what is the, when you are imagining your basketball team, what does it look like to you? What are these players? And so I think I think the draft is the best way to, to really see this with the Knicks. But I also think you've seen it in free agency. And they've had some, obviously... Obviously, they have they have had misses, right? And it's not just like what they did last summer, right? I mean, even like Austin Rivers was a miss in some ways. Like he was a guy that I think they signed believing would be like a good value and a nice rotation piece for them. It didn't work out that way. Um, so like that's that's a miss. They signed Alfred Payton. He was a terrible basketball player for us. But like if you look broadly at the, all of the personnel they brought in, I think there are a few things that stand out. They clearly value pull-up shooting off the dribble uh, from perimeter guys a lot. That's very, very much a major skill that they they feel strongly about. Um, I do think they value downhill rim pressure guys. Uh, like 
getting Rose, I don't think that was purely just like Tibbs wants Rose or getting him Rose. I'm sure that was obviously part of it. But I also think it was like, okay, this is a guy who provides a skill set we don't have. And we we know that this year they made a major push to get Jaden Ivey, who is a downhill rim, like a, a, a downhill guard. So they value this. They ha- they don't have it necessarily enough on the roster as it is. I, although like, and people would just, I don't feel strongly about this, but I do think like Brunson provides an element of that, not at speed. He's very methodical in how he gets to the rim, but like he does get to the rim and he does drive quite a bit. So there is that. Okay. Um, I think that we've seen they want switchable. They want, I think for the most part, they want guys that can, I'll just, I'm using air quotes, play multiple positions, which I think mostly that, that means like can defend multiple positions, um, or perform multiple defensive roles. Like if you look at quickly Grimes, Deuce, uh, I, even Keels, I mean, we haven't seen much of him at all, but like just how he profiles Keels, those are four guys they've picked who can all defend multiple positions. They use draft capital to get uh, Cam Reddish, who is another player who can defend multiple positions. The one guy who kind of stands out is Obi, I don't personally think can defend multiple positions, um, as great as his effort is, by the way. But like, that to me seems like a thing they value. RJ is central to their long-term plan. He's a guy that can defend multiple positions. Um, like, I think even a vet like Alec Burks, right? He was a guy that to me I would have loved to keep. He was one to three, yeah. He could yeah. switch one to three. Yeah, and he's just a really versatile player, um, which Tibbs made very clear this past year. Um, but like, I think these are all things that they value, right? And how much you think they value them or if they value them appropriately or if they are, have some glaring errors like those are all pieces that we can you know we can debate um i think they want their centers to be first and foremost focused on like that they care about the defense that's what the, the bigs are there for their defense they are not there for their offense if they give you offense that's a plus but primarily they want their bigs to be excellent on defense um in some capacity both Mitch and Hartenstein are excellent rim protectors, right? Um, Can you say that again? I said both Mitch and Hartenstein. Who is the first guy? Is that sentence an excellent rim protector? Mitchell Robinson? Oh, he's an excellent rim protector. I've never denied that. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. <laughs> um, and then Sims, who I don't think is a great rim protector. I mean, he wasn't last yet, year. Yet, yet. He has the potential. Yeah. But yeah, but he has the switchability. But sorry, yeah. yeah. But he, He's yeah. definitely not a good rim protector yet. Yeah. I think he was like 5% worse. The defenders shot, or players shot 5% better against him at the rim than expected. I think that was weighted by awful early season stuff. But yeah, he's not there yet. But he has the potential. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and so, like, really, like, and then the other part of this, the final part of this, maybe the biggest part of this, um, is for the most part, I think they have targeted guys who you know day in, day out, the roster, the players they have, day in, day out, what you are getting from that player. That doesn't mean these guys are robots and every single game they're going to produce the same, but they are steady personalities. You do not have to worry about them. They are not going to be up and down, up and down, up and down. No, they are there every single day, 
in, or not every single day because nobody is, there. humans are not going to do that. But for the most part, 90% of the time, 95% of the time, whatever the fuck you want to call it, they are steady. They, they are going to provide the same energy and focus and all these kind of things. And that to me is very broadly what I think are the guiding principles of what they want to do. Now, that last part I think is extremely key because that relates to Julius Randle. Um, if there's one thing we can say about Julius Randle, it is that he might be consistent within a season and within stretches of seasons, but through three years in New York, it has been a roller coaster ride. And not just in terms of his level of play, but his emotional status, his leadership qualities, his professionalism, quite frankly, even his commitment to some extent to be in peak shape. You know, he was in absolute peak shape his second year here, right? His all-NBA season, there is no questioning the the level he was at. Last year, I mean, you talked about this um, on your pod. You talked about it here before, but like he wore down at the end of games last year, right? Like he was super like, and, and that's not entirely because he was in, he was not in bad shape by any stretch, by the way. But I don't, I think, I think it's very clear he was not in the same 99th percentile condition that he was in the year before. Um, and forgetting that, you can forgive that maybe. But his focus, his, where his energy was directed, um, how he played off of his teammates, the energy of all of that was a total shit show across the board last year. And, I say all of this to say, when you list out all of this stuff, playing hard, you know, selflessness, playing for the team, playing a certain style of basketball, right? Like, we've talked about this, but when the young guys are in, the ball moves a lot better. It looks like a much more cohesive brand of ball. And that's not to say, like, Emmanuel Cookley and RJ Barrett are perfect initiators that don't go through bouts of, like, pounding the ball too much and, you know, fucking isolating too much and not getting guys. Like, of course, they, they have those issues. But broadly, these guys, when they played together, and I would say this even about the vets, um, the, is Evan Fournier infuriating at times? Absolutely. But, like, I don't feel like he's... Infuriating. <laughs> wow. Um, but I don't think that he's, like, actively fucking up a cohesive team style of play offensively anyways. I didn't think Burks, I think a lot of Burks' issues stemmed from how he was being used, but I always thought he slotted in really well alongside Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett, for that matter. Um, and really, most roster constructions. But like, and Rose, we know, has been basically awesome with anybody on the team and when he's been healthy for two years. But to me, Julius is the one guy um, who there are very serious question marks about with a lot of this stuff. Uh, is he a hard worker? Yes, I'm not going to question that at all. I want to be very clear. I'm not questioning his hard work. Um, but I don't, like, I think that he allows his individual performance to guide how he carries himself and how he treats people around him and how he quite frankly plays. And I think that is why you have these bouts of like, 
him, quote-unquote, hijacking the offense because he feels like he has to get his own numbers up. Um, and I don't think he supplements his skill set well within a cohesive style of play quite often because he he feels like he has to produce a certain level of statistical threshold um, for his performance to be good. And he will try to achieve that even at the expense of the overall team level of play. Yeah. um, So where I think I disagree on that is I think it's pretty easy to say that uh, his effort was unacceptable last year. Um, I do wonder how much. Yeah, I was watching the Knicks. I was watching some Knicks highlights, and things. The things that really turned me against Julius. I can live with missing shots. I could e- even live with some of the bad decisions on offense. Given that if you're playing with Kemba Walker, you know, it, it, there's very, um, you know. Um, You know, there's very little um, other shot creation. What what always drove me crazy was just jogging back on defense. There were play. There was one play that always sticks in my mind, and there's multiple plays like it. But just because of who it was, and it happened against guys like Bam, happened against other really good players too. There's a play where he faded away, took an ill-advised jump shot, missed. Um, thought about complaining to the ref, but then put his head down. And then Joel Embiid was his guy. Um, I think they might—they were either going small or he was responsible for Embiid. But Embiid is running his ass off to get down court. And so everyone else has already gone down court. Embiid is close to half court. Julius is close to the free throw line. And he looks up at Embiid. And if I see, if my guy is Joel Embiid, and I see that he's ahead of me, I would think that that should be an alarm bell. That should be like a fire alarm. Like, get the fuck back there. And he looked up, saw him, and kept jogging. He looked back down, kept jogging, like he was out for a stroll. And sure enough, Joel Embiid walked into a dunk. Um, that Those kind of plays, just there is no excuse for that. I, I don't care what's going on. Unless you're actively trying to get traded, I genuinely don't believe there's an excuse for that. That said, I do not think his issues were really selfishness. Like, when he doesn't pass the ball to RJ, or if he forces... I genuinely think that's just how he's wired to play. Whether he's on ball or off ball, by the way, I think that even as a short roller, he does get tunnel vision. Um, And when his shot was that prolific, and he had that much confidence, and his reads were simplified, he was effective in that role. And even last year, he had a solid assist-to-turnover ratio. Um, but it is limited, and I think that, like, maybe it's semantics, maybe it doesn't matter. Uh, we talked about this earlier in the thread, but I, I don't think, like, he's standing in a corner, like, looking at RJ, wanting to kill him, right? I don't think that there's really, I actually genuinely think that if Julius Randle could be a solid player and contribute to the Knicks being a really good team, he would choose that over getting his own numbers, especially since he already got paid. Um, and I think there are other players that would prioritize getting paid over that. And for the reason, I don't think that's Julius's preference, but I also think he's just, I don't want to say insecure, 
but he takes he takes a missed shot or a failure even on a micro level extremely personally that affects everything so when you see him attacking his teammates i think that's it's his way of deflecting from his own failures um which is it's not necessarily better than being quote unquote selfish but i do think that um i don't think like he just he has to be the guy i think if you like put him in that other role and just said as long as he continues to have success there you know if that's as a roller making quick decisions or just spotting up i think he would buy into that i don't think that that's the issue um the other part of it is like can he be as good as that as his backup right if he's just an off ball guy making quick decisions you know finishing at the rim is he going to be as good at that as obi or is he, i mean really technically has to be about 7 8 times better given the salary difference right no i don't think that's the case do i ever trust him to give effort or have the attentiveness on defense as a team defender even his nice season his team defense wasn't great right he made the right reads but i think those are just more shortcomings in terms of his style of play and game like that's just how he plays i don't think that actually has to do with the mentality of needing of wanting to be selfish and if that's it and i think that if your response is well it doesn't matter because functionally it's as if you had a selfish player there that's the effect it has on the offense and defense that's a fair but i, I think that i think it is a worthwhile <laughs> um distinction to make sorry jonathan macri just had a very I, yeah, he just posted the tweet from community <laughs> with childish gambino walking into the fire um this is my thing with Julius. <clears throat> is he a good player? Yes. Unequivocally, I don't I know his, all of his impact metrics this year suck. I know he's a flawed. I know the way he plays, all that kind of stuff. Yes. I, I know that that can be frustrating. I do not for one second think he is a bad player. I think he was a really bad player last year though. And bad because what I touched on earlier when he is struggling, he tries to get out of it by trying to do more and, 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 and do it at the expense of everything else. He doesn't really, uh, I, I don't think he understands how to give up control is maybe a good way of putting it, but, but let somebody else play and kind of figure out how to get his off of theirs. Um, now maybe if the Knicks did have a, uh, a true star, right? If you want to say that, um, maybe he would buy into that more. Do I think he will ever see RJ Barrett or even Jalen Brunson now uh, as a better player than him that he needs to understand how to play off of and defer to at times? I'm very skeptical. I'm very, very skeptical. Um, that's one. I think the other part of it is this. Even if you unlock this off-ball, non-ball dominant version of what Julius is, isn't that just what Obi is? And we don't need to expect any transition in that. Like he does that. That's what he does. So we don't need to like, like, oh, can Randall make this transition? Like, who cares? Like we already have the guy that can do that. We don't need to worry about that. And the other part of this to me is, like. As an organization, right? So the first year Julius is here, 
I can't put any of that on Leon and Wes and these guys, right? Because they weren't hired to assemble that team. They got hired because that team fucking sucked ass. Um, then they come in, Julius has his all-NBA season. I will never believe that the plan was to keep Julius, but the level he played at it was just like, I think... I mean, look, I, I, again, shout out to people like State, who even at the time were saying, fuck this guy, let him go. Um, they, I think they've been proven right. Um, but like, I, let's just say 90% of people would have agreed with the extension, even if they had some reservations about it. Um, I understand why they did it at the very minimum. What I, but I, I will forever believe the plan was move Julius after that season or maybe during that season and let Obi move into the starting power forward spot. Plans change all the time. I think this plan needs to change for more than just the basketball reasons. I think there are serious cultural implications to it because the player that we saw last year was forget the basketball piece of it. Forget, forget that shit. Okay. He was an example of like everything a player should not be. You talked about the lack of effort on defense. That speaks for itself. It goes beyond that. This is a player who had a complete fucking shit fit at the end of a game against the Bulls, which the Knicks won, had a complete shit fit at the end of it because what? Because and don't you think that's a little bit just cherry picking camera work though? I wouldn't call no. it a shit fit. He had a shit really? Do you want go back I mean, and watch that. He, but I mean for for all we know, he like sort of the fucking no past or something that, that okay no, what we, okay so we're, are we gonna do this now with every fucking player that has oh well we don't know what's going on in his life we don't know what's going on in his life i don't give a shit nothing has come out i okay? really think that so prez so because prez brought prez had a good argument i have said like i know that no one wants to hear this part but he did show up at summer league from every indication he seems pretty cool with the young dudes I don't. Uh, think we saw that during his good year that he would often encourage rj to isolate He's done that with quickly at times. Um, I do not think... I don't think there's bad blood at all between him and the young players. And then Prez made a good argument against it that just because you're cool off the court doesn't mean you're cool on the court. Um, I brought up, do you think that applied to Beal and Wall? And he said, yeah, that's a good example. Bradley Beal and John Wall were extremely close off the court. Clearly didn't really enjoy playing with each other. That could be what it is with Randall and RJ. But I don't think, like, I don't think this is, like, you know, Polly Walnuts, R.I.P., seeing, you know, fucking um, Ralphie Cifaretto getting close with Tony and, like, you know, calling someone else about fat jokes. You know, I don't think this is, um, I think okay, that like, it's just, so, so no, they like, in a bad moment more likely no, than I, I don't buy that for a second, because it's a bad moment with the entire fucking season. Um, you brought up last season. What, 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 what was good about, why would, our, why would Randall be encouraging R.J. Barrett in one season and then freezing him out in the other. Is it maybe because of exactly Because you're not threatened by his... Not, forget not being threatened. He was playing well. Julius Randle was playing well. It is yeah. easy to be a good teammate when you're playing well. It's easy to be a good teammate then. It's a lot harder when you're sucking ass. It's a lot harder to do it then. Especially when your response to sucking ass is to try to do more and more and more and more to get yourself out of the rut you're in. Okay? And... My point here is like, 
these young guys, okay, RJ, quickly, OB, let's just start, let's just say those three because those are three that were in the rotation the entire season. Uh, I'm not even going to include Mitch because Mitch is his own thing. It's just, I'm not going to include him. Anyway, those three, okay, those guys at various points in the season had every right to feel aggrieved by their role, by their usage, by the minutes they were getting, and also, at various points, all three of them really, really struggled offensively, like to make shots, to be efficient, all these things. At no point did they take it out on their teammates, on their coaches, on assistants. Uh, did they? I, at no point were they negative energy influences around the team. At no point did they shirk. Look, I don't care about the answering questions from the media thing, but that is definitely a thing that your bet the best player on your team is the alleged best player on your team is supposed to do. When he's not doing that, especially on a team like this, that responsibility that responsibility then fell on who? It fell on a third year player in RJ Barrett. Like that is absurd. That is such, he literally failed across the board in terms of being a leader, in terms of being a teammate, and in terms of just not bringing everybody's energy down around him. And like, I agree with what Prez said and what you're talking about. Like, I don't think these guys hate Julius at all. Like, I don't think they personally are like, fuck this guy. He's a bad dude or something like that. Like, I don't, my, I think Julius is a good dude. I think he's, you know, he seems like by all purposes or by all accounts, a very much like a, a homebody, actually. Uh, somebody who's just like very family oriented and has been forever. Um, but like, I do think what happened on the court last year, I, I, I think the cat's out of the bat. Like, these guys experienced life without Julius. And guess what? Didn't really suck that much. It's actually kind of fun. They actually played pretty well. And Obi played really well. And the garden was rocking. And the entire fan base was, like, vibing with them. It was fun. It was a fun young team for us Knicks fans to watch for the first time forever, really. You bring Julius back. And with this coach, with the roster you have constructed, I don't see any way OB is getting more than 18 minutes a night, which is unacceptable for a player like him. For what he has shown, for his professionalism through two years, where he has not been, forget, handed extended minutes, he's never even really had the chance. The only time he had the chance is when Julius was out. And one of those times when Julius was out and we struggled a little bit, his coach basically called him a backup quarterback. That's what his coach did. And he... He didn't bristle at it. He didn't, you know, he didn't go into a fucking downward spiral. No, he just kept doing what Obi does, working his ass off, working his ass off, working his ass off. And then when he got the chance again, he thrived. He looked great. looked fantastic. Um, you drafted him eighth overall. At some point, you have to make a fucking, you have to put your money where your mouth is in that investment. Either you're going to give him a shot or you're going to move him on. Okay, if you move him on to keep Julius, that would be very concerning to me. But if you keep him, you have to open up minutes for him. You have to open up role for him. You have to see what you have at the starting four position. And I don't see any way with Julius here. You guys talk. You and Matthew talked about this on your pod. I agree with what you said. That I don't think there's any chance that if Randall is here. OB can start. 
Do you still believe this? I would assume you do. Yeah, but that's my point, right? Like, the bigger thing to me about why I need to move Obi, or sorry, why I need to move Randall, is for Obi, is that Obi plays that role that I want Randall to play for much cheaper, has more upside. By the way, one of the areas I think he has more upside is as a shooter, because um, as a shooter, he's basically there in terms of catch and shoot. Uh, you want, you've got his Darko DPM projection. He's basically at the same level Randall is. He's three years younger. Um, it's more about Obi to me than it is about like Randall being a cultural issue, though. That's what I'm saying. But like, but I don't think like, if Obi he... was just a man, like if it was Kevin Knox, and we're like, let's see what Kevin Knox has. Forget, forget. I mean, Kevin Knox before we knew, like, oh, he's just Kevin Knox, right? Like, he's not good. Like, if it was like after his first year, <laughs> I wouldn't think that much about it. But Obi's not that. Obi clearly looks like a starter level player. That's the key. That's the big thing for me with Randall, especially since like Randall's big advantage over him is shot creation. And I just don't think, especially now that we added Brunson, our best players as young guys seem to be in the backcourt. Um, I think we're going to be relying on the bigs for a different role. And I think Randall is good in that role. I don't think he's worth $26 million in that role. And I think his backup is younger and, and is older. Do you like Randall in his role? I don't like Randall's current role. I like Randall in that role, but I wouldn't pay him twenty six million dollars to do it. So, so, so like this is I'd like probably this. pay him like like Boogie when he first came back from injury. I think got ten million dollars. So something more than that, or like I would pay I would pay Randall like Montrezl Harrell. Like that's I think his ideal role. More shooting, sure. Um, but um, yeah, like that's and that's probably similar to what Obi's best fit is. I think Obi can give you more shooting than that and probably even better passing, but and that's, you know, so it's but one of those guys is making $4 million and one of those guys is making 26 So that's really what it comes down to me. And and if there is more to Obi's game, then there's more upside there probably than what you can see out of Randall. So that's what it, but like, in terms of the cultural fit, in terms of you know, Randall hates RJ, he doesn't like, he's very insecure about his role. He's basically Joffrey Lannister or whatever. Like, I don't see. I think that when he fails, he's a guy that takes it hard. I I have played basketball and been that way. I have seen other play people play that way. So to whatever extent my pickup experience counts, but also like I think that's the thing. Like right, like just like when you have your own worries about your own shortcomings, it's not so much about your selfishness so much of as when things go wrong, you just don't know how to handle it. And if you think that in itself is an attack on the culture. You know, that's that's or you know a, a detriment to the culture that I can see, but in, like I I genuinely do not think there's any like animosity one way or the other between him and the young kids. I don't think there's animosity right now. I think there would be. Animosity. I don't think he has animosity towards their success either. I absolutely disagree with that. I think he hates it. He, that's where we disagree. He, yeah, but how? Like you could literally see him get pissed off when the when the crowd was chanting for RJ Barrett. Like you could see it. It was cam- evident. Like, it's the camera angle. And, no, it's not the um, camera angle. This is like obvious things. Like I'm sorry. And like, this the is the free throw line, right? This is this is where we're just never going to agree on this stuff because, and I understand your point of view. And this is like we don't know them personally as human beings, so like we are applying a lot of context. Yeah, a lot of Doctor Jennifer Melfi from a distance. Yeah, that's fine. But like. I don't really give a shit about that because that shit is real. Like, this stuff matters. 
all these things. And like, you, like we're never going to have the complete set of information that the end, like the Knicks would have in this scenario, but I'm sorry. Like every single piece of evidence suggests that he did not relinquish any control over an argument that he actively bristled at it. Um, that he did not want to, he, like, he didn't show any example of like, okay, well, yeah, you know, I don't have it going right now, so I'll let RJ do his thing. Because there were long stretches of the season where Randall didn't have it going and RJ did have it going. And yet, during all of these stretches, you can break it down as much as you want. Randall always had a higher usage. Always. He always did. He always had a higher usage. Even when RJ took his massive usage leap, Randall had a higher usage than him. And... That's not to say that RJ should just be granted a higher usage. But the point of the matter is, is like, Randall just never had it going. And he never adjusted. He never he never tried to adapt. It. Like, the only thing he did was for, like, one West Coast trip, he ran up the ball up the floor really fast. Uh, and then he kind of set more DHOs over the course of the season. That's about it. That's the only shift he made. But he didn't do anything else. He didn't adapt to anybody else. He... Everybody had to adapt to Julius. Everybody's had to adapt to Julius for basically three years here. And at some point, like, these guys are just going to not be on board with that. And that point usually have like, it's all cool. Like, RJ says all the right things, okay? Quickly says all the right things. Obi says all the right things. You don't think, they know what happened last year. Like, they were in the locker room. They were on the court. They know that they like the team did better when they were running the show as per as we can call it like if you bring julius back you are risking so many things here you are rolling the dice that if you change randall's role that he will buy in to being a second or third option off of jalen brunson and rj barrett you are risking that if he doesn't do that that the young guys will be cool with it you're risking that his bounce back, and I think I do think he'll bounce back. He will not be a fifty-one and a half or whatever the fuck he was, true shooting player next year. Um, you're risking that that is worth rehabbing his trade value enough to again punt on however many more games of Obi Toppin on his rookie contract, being able to start games and getting information on that. Okay, you are also punting on like and. and the other part of this to me is, do you have the dis- – like, if the logic here is we don't want to trade Randall now because his, his value sucks, so we think with the team we have next year and just because he will have gone somewhere over the offseason and gotten his mental right, um, he's going to have a better year next year, and that will rehab his trade value. Okay, fine. I don't agree with that, but fine. If, you, if that is the belief, I'm okay with that. Do you have the discipline to stick to that? Because I don't want to fucking sit here next January, and if Randall is at, like, you know, 20, 10, and 4 on, like, 56 true shooting or something, I really do not want to sit here. And But our offense is still, like, 17th in the league or some shit like that, which would be an improvement. Um, I do not want to sit here and debate whether, oh, well, maybe we should keep Randall. No, 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 no. no. If the point was we were rehabbing his value, then do you have the discipline to stick to that? And you have the discipline to be like, regardless of, unless he turns into all NBA Randall again, and maybe even if he does, we've seen this story before. He cannot be relied upon year to year. He is extremely sensitive. He is 
a wild card in a lot of ways, his personality, his temperament, not his personality. I think that's probably the wrong word. His temperament. Do you have the discipline to stick with that? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, we don't have that answer. But that, if you, if you're bringing him back to rehab his value, then it needs to be just about rehabbing his value. And you cannot be like, oh, well, talk, this is, there's no talking yourself back into Julius. Yeah, right. Like that, that can't be like, to me, the decision should already be made. And now all you're debating is the value proposition of doing it now versus seeing if his value can rehab in season and doing it later. That should be like, and if they, if they can't do that or they don't have that decision made already, that's very concerning to me because I do think it affects your culture to keep enabling this type of player and personality who has been so erratic over three years in New York. You know, like literally at the end of his first year, everybody wanted to trade. Everybody wanted to trade. After his second year, he goes all NBA. This guy's fucking God. We give him a nice payday, massive payday, right? Not a massive, like it, but a, a bigger payday than I think he would have ever, anybody would have ever anticipated a year before that. Okay. He gets that payday. And then he just goes into this massive downward spiral with all this weird, pent up negative energy. You know, he's screaming at the crowd the first game of the season. He's screaming at the crowd, give me my fucking respect, give me my fucking respect. Like he, and this, the thumbs down the crowd, you know, at the Celtics game, RJ hits this crazy game winner. And the story after the game isn't about that. It's not about that. No, it's about Julius. He literally said, shut the fuck up. That, that's what he said. He was trying to indicate to the fans. That, that's what that story became. And that became, that took on a life of its own. That became its, its own storyline for a while, you know? And then you talk about all this other stuff throughout the course of the season. He pushed the assistant with the laptop and, Tibbs has to come up with this ridiculous statement about like laptops matter and all this shit. Um, he, he, it's, you can't have this. Like you cannot depend on a player like this in this league. And the more and more, the longer you have with him in the building, I think the more you are risking the culture and you are, you are, I think in some ways revealing that your guiding principles, your organizational principles are maybe not founded enough on, I think maybe this is the way I put it. I think maybe there's too much value then being placed on maximizing the asset value of each individual piece versus maybe you have to sell Julius off for, I don't know, 35 cents on the dollar, 40 cents on the dollar, whatever it is. But is there upside to just simply getting rid of him, and I think the answer is unequivocally yes. Um, and if they if they disagree with that internally, and that's their right as the organization to feel differently, then it is they better be absolutely right. Because if this shit goes wrong again next year with Julius, I promise you, it is going to be even it is going to be miserable in the garden. It is going to be absolutely miserable in the garden. It'll be like that time that everybody started booing Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, and chanting for Frank to come in the game on like dialed way up. It'll be dialed way, way up because he has already burned all the goodwill of the fans. And I have no sympathy for him, to be quite frank. Yeah, I think a lot of that applies to Tibbs too, right? So, yeah, absolutely. I, my, my thing was always if they had gotten a different coach who was willing to kind of hammer it into Randall that he was to be, I don't want to say like Draymond on offense, but. 
mostly an ancillary connecting piece that scored as well. Um, that would work. And if they got rid of Randall and forced Tibbs to do what he did with the young guys, that would be okay too. It's the combination of them that's problematic. And if they bring both back, they're betting that they can bring them in line. And if they can't, then um, I think the front office will face their first real heat. I don't think they've actually faced real heat from the fan base yet. Have you ever you've seen, I'm sure you've seen V for Vendetta, right? Yeah. You know, when, because, uh, you know, like the premise is obviously he does this whole thing. And then he goes on a video and he says, you know, in one year's time, I'm going to blow up the fucking whatever yeah. it is. Uh, November 5th. Yeah. And so, like, there's one point where they're, like, track him and they just keep, they can't, they, you know, they never find him. And, you know, uh, I think John Hurt, he's the prime minister or whatever, but he's like, he's like, 250 days, 250 failures or something like that. And that's literally how I feel about Julius Randle's continued existence on this roster. Is like every further day that he remains on this roster is a failure to me. Um, I like, I I'm just so over him, and I'm so over like, oh, we gotta, we can unlock him with Jalen Brunson, and then this ridiculous idea now that he can play the three, like with that, the I, that just literally came from someone tweeting that he looks skinnier. That is pretty. That that is what they do with Julius Randle. It's just hilarious. I I think. If that was our solution to get Obi more minutes and still have Randall on the floor, like, dude, that team would suck. Their spacing would be so bad. And that even if Julius went back to, like, shooting the ball at 40% from three, I still don't think the spacing would be good because there's a difference in, like, like grind shooting, even if he shot 35% from three and Randall shot back to his 2020-21 level of, like, 40% from three – the spacing would still be better with Grimes at the three. You know what I mean? Like, there's a difference. Um, it's just, I don't know, man. I just feel like it's it's they're very close. Uh, I I understand this is not easy. You know, like it's it's easy for me to be like get rid of Julius at all costs and do this, but like there's stuff you have to deal with, right? Like I'm sure, you know, James Dolan. Uh, he know I'm mean, he's aware of the people on the team. He's I'm sure aware of Julius Randle. And like if you go to him and you're like, yeah, you know what, dude, we gotta take like we gotta get rid of this guy and our return is gonna be fucking I don't know, like I'll just use it because I've used it repeatedly. But it's like, yeah, we're gonna trade him for like Davis Burton and a top fifteen, twenty protected. He's given up on the KP trade. Yeah, I've given up on the KP trade. Although I do wonder if the Wizards could be talked into like getting Randall to pair with KP. Um, you know, whatever. Anyway, I don't want to go into that too much. But like, whatever. You, you're, you're telling we're going to take this shitty contract and we're going to get like a protected first, and uh, that's the trade. Like, I don't think that's just like an easy sell to make. I think they have to like really convince them, like, hey, look, like this is why we think this works, and like this will make the team better, and blah blah blah. blah. And that's real risk, right, for a front office because then you're like, like you better be right about that. And it's easy for me and you to be like, yeah, well, if you look at the on-off, you know, all these stuff, like look at this five-game sample at the end of the year. Like I know that's – I truly believe it, right? But if I was in Leon Rose's position and I had to talk to James Dolan and convince him of this and essentially I'm staking a, a significant amount of capital with, with the owner of the team – 
uh, on my evaluation that the team will be perfectly fine and probably even better with Obi instead of Julius, like, I might feel a lot differently about that. You know what I mean? Like, I might be like, you know what? Maybe we hold off on this until we can get a better trade return. So I get that part of it. I just think, like, I hope, I, I really hope uh, that internally anyways, they at least know, like, the style of play you're striving for, right? Like, the stuff that Obi does, right? He connects pieces of the team and gets us to play faster and gets us to play more together. And he gives you this energy on defense. You know, you talked about this. Like, if Randall played with his energy on defense, he'd be a fucking all-NBA defender. Um, but, like, he doesn't play anywhere near to that level of energy. And for whatever limitations Obi has, uh, I think he makes up for so much of it with just, like, sheer energy and commitment. Can he sustain that over 32 minutes a night? I don't know. I have no idea. We don't know because we've never really had a chance to find out. Um, so you're risking quite a bit here. I just really fundamentally very strongly believe, especially with now having added Brunson, I just really believe like it is the correct, it's the correct bet to make and it's, it's the clear bet to make. And I really, really hope they make it because I think this team could be super fucking fun next year. Um, and maybe it can be fun with Julius too. And maybe I'm totally off on all this and I'll look a fucking idiot in a few months. But like, I really, I agreed with what you said on your pod that like, this could be a super fun team. I just think Julius is very much an obstacle to that fun. Uh, yeah, I was going to say I agree, but um, I think it has more to do with Obi. It's more my bullishness on Obi than my bearishness on Julius, even though both are things for me that lead me to believe that. Like, I think Obi just, like, like let's not, let's not understate it. Obi's greatest strength isn't just not being Julius Randle. It's, it's being the best off-ball mover this team has had in years. Um, it's being a very high-level feel connecting passing guy it's being almost an automatic bucket when he gets the ball within 10 feet of the rim so that's what it is right and and he runs his ass off so people have compared him to sean marion to mari stoudemire um whether or not you think there's star potential there is the potential for star level impact and in his few minutes um i think it was nick's muse that posted this earlier but they posted i think the um the top scorers in terms of total points from the um, 20, whatever their draft was, 2020 draft. Um, so Quickly's in eighth. All of the guys above him have 200 minutes or more than him have played, right? So Quickly's eighth. Cole Anthony has 2,059 minutes. Quickly's at 1,802. Um, and besides Cole Anthony, everyone else is at about 2,500 minutes or more. Um, so all of those guys, and all of those guys are the kind of guys that everyone's like, oh my god, they're super all-stars. And then you keep going, and then the guys after quickly are all around 17, 18, 1900 minutes. Obi Toppin is 13th, and he has by far the, in 1230 minutes, he had 648 points. Um, just to put it into perspective, Precious Achiua is the next guy on the list at 12th. He had 1,725 minutes and scored just... So in over 500 more minutes, Precious Achiua, who's looked at as a very high-level prospect, scored just 16 more minutes than Obi. 
So he's been insanely productive. Like I think it's it's the fact that Obi is that promising more than my worries about um you know, my worries about Randall and his effect on the culture. Yeah, I just I yeah, that's something I will never agree on. I think the longer you keep a guy like that, the more you're risking like at some point these guys are just gonna be like, fuck this. Like why is this fucking guy still here? Like this is why at some point Golden State had to make the choice between Monte and Steph. And in hindsight it looks ridiculous that that was ever a choice, but it was a choice. Like they had to make that choice. And I believe at the time a lot of Warriors fans were pissed they traded Monte. Um I don't remember if they were pissed that they kept Steph. I don't think they were. I think they were just pissed they traded Monte. But like that team made a big decision at a very key point and it was not an easy choice. It was criticized really. I think at the time even though they got Bogut, uh, I don't think Bogut was seen as as good a player as Monte. Is that accurate? Do you remember? Um, no. I that trade got booed by Warriors fans. Though it should be noted, Steph was not this level player. Steph was probably closer to the way that um, he wasn't even. I don't think at that point his career is even viewed as favorably as Trey Young is right now. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying like. It was not an easy move, though. And they took a risk. They didn't get back an exorbitant haul or something. Um, they got back Andrew Bogut, who had already had a lot of injury issues at that time and was the number one pick. Sheen had already kind of come off of him. Um, like, I I fundamentally, like, just think you... Like, there was a risk to continuing to keep Monte. Um who didn't want to play with Steph very much um, and bristled at kind of Steph's ascension as a player. Um, and like, do I think Steph and Monte have beef off the court or hate each other or something like that? No, I don't think so. Um, I've never read anything along those lines. I've never, Whatever never, happened to Monte Ellis? No, I'm curious. I don't know. He just kind of like faded out of the league weirdly. Um, he had like so, a, didn't he have a good year or two in Dallas? Yeah, he did. They were a fun team. Um, yeah, after I mean, yeah. So he didn't, but obviously now he's out of the league. But. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I don't think Julius is gonna like if we trade him. I think he'll go on to be a good player somewhere else. Uh, I think he has a lot of good qualities as a player, and that's okay. Like sometimes it's just not. You need to like get off of a player because. It's just not a good fit anymore with what else is going on with their team. And I think, like, I really strongly believe that's where we are with Matt with Randall. And I'm so sick and tired of having people be like, well, you're not going to get anything good for him. You're going to sell him at his lowest value. Like, well, that's not a good return. And it's like, okay, it's not a good return. But people act like there's not actually a cost to keeping him either. There is a cost to that. The cost is you're wasting more and more time of Obi Toppin's rookie contract. So to me, very fundamentally, this is what I think. I think if you are advocating that we need to keep Julius and we have this trade value and all this, what you're really telling me is that you still don't value Obi enough to move off of Julius. And that's okay, but like that is what you're saying. That's really what it is, in my opinion. Like you either if you believe that Obi Toppin is good enough to start at the four, then you should really not give too much of a fuck about moving Julius Randle. Unless you also believe that Julius Randle is going to like turn back into an all-NBA player, 
2020-2021, which I don't think most people believe. Um, like, I don't know. I, I just really... If you believe in Obi, then, like, believe in Obi. Like, I, I don't know. Like, if you're the front office, you drafted this kid at the 8th eighth overall, eighth overall. We heard Berman do his press tour after the season about how, you know, Tibbs is now an Obi believer. Okay, if you believe in him, then show me. Show me you believe in him. I, like... Because I don't see how you can believe in him, and you're like, yeah, no, no, we're going to keep Julius because we need to rehab his trade value. Because you know how you rehab somebody's trade value? You've got to play them a lot of minutes. And you know what's going to happen if you play Julius a lot of minutes? That means Obi's not going to play a lot of minutes. Because Tibbs is never going to play Randall and Obi at the, at the 4 and 5 in any serious capacity in extended minutes. He's never going to do it. We have two years of evidence of this. It's never going to happen. And at this point, we have three centers that are pretty good. So right. we don't even want to do that if like, if that's the only way to keep Randall on the roster, right? Yeah, exactly. So, like, I just there – there is an opportunity cost to this stuff. And you can tell me that we're not getting enough offense to you – know, or we're not getting enough of a return for Julius. And I would agree with that. We're probably – we would be selling low on him. But, like, I also think the value of just – Going into the, the season of, like, you kind of know now, okay, what is the rotation? And what is the offense going to look like? And we're now pivoting to, like, yeah, Brunson's obviously going to do a lot of ball handling and shot creating and all that. But, like, other than that, it's all going to be on the young guys, right? It's going to be on RJ Barrett. It's going to be on Emmanuel Quickly. It's going to be on um, Obi Toppin even, right? And, like, yeah, Rose and Fournier might still be here in that scenario. and They'll chip in where they do. But, like, that's what you do. And the other benefit of it is you open up real minutes, I think, for Cam as a backup four, potentially. Um, that has value. I really think that has value. And it should be part of the calculus also, because you can view Cam as, like, a minor, as kind of like a, you know, if you have an item list and you rank it in terms of importance, yeah, he's he's further down that list. But you did trade protected first for him. So clearly there are people in your organization that feel like he's worth some level of investment. And you did invest in him. So it behooves you to consider the value of like opening up minutes for him in a rotation spot for him that's very clean um, as part of this entire equation also. Yeah, that's fair. Um, if you want to add fun trivia fact, um, there was a Nick Summer League player who was not Deuce or Grimes who played yesterday. That shot 37% from three in G League last year. Do you know who that is? Sorry, say that again? There was a Knicks player who played on the Summer League team yesterday who last year in G League averaged or shot 37% from three. Is it that white dude from Ohio State? Nope. He shot 40%. Uh, and yeah, uh, Michael Potter. Uh, nope. It's not him that I'm talking about. Who is it? Baron Hunt. Shot 37% from three and got some hops. Any 6'8". Just saying, really there might 30%. be... Might, yeah, it wasn't... It was like 3.5 attempts in 36 minutes, so like, not a volume guy, but he can hit him. I'm looking at it right now. I'm trying to find the... the let's see what the totals are. All right, his totals are... He shot 36.4%. No, no, so... Yeah, he shot 36.4% total. For the season, it seems like he played for Texas before this. Oh, yeah, he played for a couple teams. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so he shot 40 for 100 and 
40 on 110. He hit 43s on 110 attempts, and he, that's 36.4%. Shot 75% from the free throw line. Uh, he wasn't a good shooter in college, right? I don't think so, yeah. I mean, look, I I would love if they just added him as the final piece of the... I think, he, did he get it? He got a two-way, didn't he? Yeah, he's on a two-way. Yeah, so, um, yeah, he was not a good shooter. He did not shoot much in college. 72% free throw shoot in college, which isn't terrible, but, um, yeah. Um, and he was know. super efficient in college, by the way. He was, like, basically 60 true shooting every year. Um, 58 EFG. His block and steal rates are super encouraging. Yeah, he's just an active guy. I think um, I think he can be kind of what they've tried to get out of that spot with guys like Pinson before that Lance Thomas. But you want that kind of energy big. Um, yeah, if he can hit an open three, that's a pretty valuable player. And he's athletic. Like That's actually one thing. I'm not sure if we value that enough. The Knicks haven't historically, I don't think, valued athleticism, pure athleticism. Enough. Um, like Sprewell is one of the top athletes I've seen on the Knicks since I've been a fan. You know, like that's. I mean, I think like it says a lot that Shumpert and Jr. were like considered our yeah. athletic guys in the 2013 team. You know what I mean? It was like, oh my god, these are our big athletes. Um, and since then, like who, like who's our best athlete? I mean, Obi is a freak athlete. Obi's a, a really, and like that's another reason why I really want us to just give first him two more years, time. Mitch. Um, James White. <laughs> uh, there's Amari, obviously. Yeah, slight White. Amari was before what you mentioned. Yeah, but, yeah we uh, just haven't had like elite athletes. I mean, I, the thing is, Julius would be close to an elite athlete if he's just like, he doesn't maximize his athleticism at all. Uh, and like some of that is just, like if he really just gave a shit about defense consistently, he would be an unreal defender. Because uh, his, like, he's got these great linebacker feet. You know, he's like so, he's like on his toes, right? Like when he's locked in, he's like on his toes. He can switch. Guys have a really tough time beating him in ISO. I mean, I said last year that he was like, to me, I thought if you needed to just get a stop on an ISO possession, like Julius was to me the best guy on the team suited for it. Um, but he just wasn't that at all this past season. Um, but yeah, all right, cool. I mean, I, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to talk about we get out of here? Or? We still don't have the Jalen Brunson transaction done, uh, and we don't know what the Mitch contract is officially or the Hartenstein one. So I'm still curious. So your sources that. are telling you we're getting Luka Doncic back? That's the holdup? Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see what happens here. There's been a lot of weird reporting on this. I really hope that this stuff about, like, using a first to get off of Fournier salary or something. I hope that's bullshit. Um, it just, it wouldn't compute. Um, yeah, it just, it wouldn't compute. I don't think they're trading Cam on the, I think that's another thing. A lot of people are now hand-rigging. Like, are they just going to burn Cam? I think they traded a first for Cam, and now as the clock ticks, they're going to want to make sure they at least, like, don't lose anything from that trade. So if someone is willing to give them a first, and like we'll take the sh- the cam bet. I think at this point they're probably at the point where they're like, "All right, you take the bet, and we'll recoup our value or get more from it." But I think they're going to use him to dump cap. There's just, there's no reason for them to. Yeah, it just doesn't really make sense. Um, all right, cool. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about we got here? No. 
All right, cool. Uh, that's a good place to end it then. So, Stacy, let people know where they can find you and uh, plug anything you make to uh, You can find me, Stacy Patton89. Um, yeah, no, the plug. Uh, awesome. Uh, I have nothing specific to plug, so I will plug. Uh... Be nice to each other, y'all. Don't um, don't assume anything. We uh, let's all hold hands and and enjoy the Knicks. Uh, I'm not going to plug any. Uh, I'll plug all the stuff in the Strickland, but I am going to plug. Uh, everybody should watch The Sopranos if they have not. Uh, Tony Sirico, I believe that's how you pronounce the last name, passed away. He played Paulie Walnuts on the show. Uh, just phenomenal actor. Every story I've read about him seem, makes it seem like he was also just a really awesome dude. Um, and uh, I gotta say, I've watched that show a lot of times, so he's, I mean, it's my favorite show. I think it is the best show of all time. I think he's one of the best characters on that show. So it's kind of like weird because I'm an Indian dude, but somehow like this fictional Italian family kind of feels some way related to these. So, uh, you know, are you Anthony yeah, Jr.? I am. I'm Anthony Soprano Jr. Uh, no, but I, I think him, yeah, I don't know. Uh, celebrity deaths usually don't hit me hard and I wasn't like super emotional about it, but it does really suck. Um, because that's a show that I love rewatching, even, and it's kind of crazy that uh, he has passed away. So, you know, if you haven't watched the show, definitely do, because it's an amazing show. Um, and he was an amazing part of it. Um, okay, that was our show for today. Hope everybody has a great rest of their weekend, though it'll be Monday when you listen to this. Uh, and I hope the next one tomorrow. And other than that, uh, have a great week, and we'll see you on Friday.